Hello, and welcome to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. Hello, and welcome to another Two Guys, Four Balls podcast. With me, as always, is my man, Julius, and this is Patrick on the mic. We're about to do a week eight analysis of the NFL, starting off with our Thursday night matchup, Baltimore at Tampa Bay. And Baltimore comes away with the win, 27-22. to um, I don't know what to tell y'all. Tom Brady looks like he finally hit that cliff that Max Kellerman was talking about for 17 years. Um, I, don't, I have no words. Uh, Julius kind of called this last year when he said that Tom Brady was declining, even though he led the league in yards. Um, you know, I kind of said this about his accuracy. The accuracy was concerning to me at the end of the year last year. Uh, That's how Godwin got hurt in the playoffs. Um, That's how Godwin got hurt at the beginning of the year when he had to come back and stop for a ball and, like, planted his leg. And you've seen what the turf has done to a lot of players' legs this year. Um, But this this Tampa Bay offense is not helping the defense out at all. The defense has not played well the last few weeks. But they played stellar the first five weeks, and, and the offense has not helped them out. Um, so, uh, Lamar Jackson looked okay in this game. I'm not going to say that he looked like an MVP caliber quarterback. He didn't look bad. He didn't really make any mistakes to lose the game. Um, but, uh, his defense finally stepped up. Baltimore's defense finally stepped up for Baltimore in this game. Um, and Baltimore came away with the win 27 to 22. Um, you know, I, 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 I picked Baltimore to win. So I, I thought they were going to win. I think they're the better team. Uh, but I am really shocked, Julius, by Tom Brady's performance. It, it's, I think a lot of it has to do with the mental and the fatigue of his personal life being out in the public um, for all those years. You really never heard much from Tom Brady, even though he was married to a supermodel, right? You didn't, like, that was like the quietest wedding, quietest relationship of all time. Like, you might have heard, like, oh, they're having another kid, you know, but to be married to a supermodel and a seven-time Super Bowl winner, you really didn't hear much about that personal life and what was going on. So... I think Tom Brady is uh, finally starting to feel the effects of being famous and in his personal business being out there. Um, I don't think you can talk about that enough because these people are human. A lot of people think football players aren't human beings, and they are. Um, and I think that you're kind of seeing that in his performance as well. Um, you're having more Tom Brady blowups than I've ever seen before. I mean, this is also probably his worst start in a long time. But, um, you know, it's just kind of... It's kind of sad to see one of the, the greatest go out this way. Um, you know, I know he threw for 300 yards in this game, but they were kind of meaningless yards. Uh, you know, if you watch the game, um, I'm not really impressed with 325 because I'm not only watching for fancy football purposes. Like, it just, they, they weren't impressive 325 yards. So um, I'm glad Baltimore won. Like I said, I picked them. Um, I picked them to win the division. Uh, they look like they're trending in the right direction. Um, <clears throat> We're going to have to keep an eye on Mark Andrews, see, see what's going on with that injury. Um, yeah. Same with Bateman. You know, without Andrews and Bateman, this, this offense is a, just a lot different. Um, I know they signed Deshaun Jackson. I don't know what that's going to do for them. Um, I don't know how Double much. for Tim plays. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know how much he has left in the <laughs> tank. I'm sure he'll get one 80-yard bomb from Lamar Jackson in, in one of the games. Um, but. You know, there's they just traded for Roquan Smith though. That that was a that was yep. a huge trade for them. They needed a middle linebacker. 
Um, I love Patrick Queen, but the Roquan Smith trade is going to be a big deal for this Baltimore defense. Um, so we'll see what happens with them moving forward. I, I hope they make a trade or another pickup for another wide receiver. This team needs more dynamic playmakers on the outside if they want to make a long playoff push, in my opinion. I don't think that the team they have around Lamar Jackson right now is a Super Bowl contender. Do I think they can make the playoffs? Yes. Do I think they could win a game or two in the playoffs? I just don't think they have those guys on the outside that can win one-on-one matchups enough to propel this team to a Super Bowl. Watching this game, it felt like the Ravens were too eager to try to attack Tampa Bay's beating up secondary. You know, going into the game, you knew they weren't going to have Antoine Winfield Jr. So you had a big loss at the most important position in football. You knew they weren't going to have Carlton Davis. You knew they weren't going to have Sean Murphy bunting. The Ravens came out of this game to start and just went completely away from their identity. Lamar Jackson attempted 30 passes in the first half of this game. I, unless you have, you know, a Peyton Manning, a Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers type quarterback, I don't, I don't want anybody throwing 30 times in the first half. It's one thing to throw 30 times in the second half and you're trying to come back from behind. To do it in the first half when you are a run-based team and, you know, as Patrick mentioned, you're shorthanded as far as your receivers and playmakers go. Andrews got hurt in the first half. Uh, and you know Bateman has been banged up and eventually couldn't finish the game. I just didn't like that idea of coming out and completely sacrificing who you are to try to attack a perceived weakness. The result of that was three points in the first half from the Ravens. And those three points were a gift. And we're going to talk, and it's going to be a theme in this particular episode, muffed punts leading the points. The, that, that is, in fact, in a lot of games, it affected this game. Catch punts, learn how to get out of the way of punts. I'm going to say that a lot tonight because I'm just amazed at how we're halfway through the season almost and guys still seem to have no clue on how to manage punt returns. But anyway, the Ravens got to give three points in the first half, and that's all they could score because they were approaching the game the wrong way. The, the second half, they come out, and they run for 204 yards in the second half. And lo and behold, they have a 24-point half, and they win the game. I mean, it's just not shocking. You got to do what you're good at. I understand trying to go at somebody's weakness, but you can't do it if you don't have the personnel to do it. This Ravens team is built to run because, like Patrick said, this team refuses to get playmakers on the outside. They try and get one playmaker. He is unfortunately looking like an injury-prone player at this point of Rashad Bateman. I like him, but he can't stay on the field. And without him, they just don't have the guys that can exploit even almost entire backup secondary. So you've got to stick to the run. That's what you've invested in. That's what you've built your team around. When you do that, you, you win. And Tampa Bay, you know, Patrick, you said it all as far as, you know, what there is to say about Tom Brady. I've touched on Tom Brady. I'm, I'm going to give Tom Brady a break this week. Not, not, not a pass, but a break. I don't have to analyze Tom Brady every week and tell y'all every week that he's declining. At some point, you're going to see it for yourselves. Tampa Bay is losing the run game battle on both sides of the ball. Like I said, the Ravens just ran through them at will in the second half of this game. Going back to last week, the Panthers ran through this Tampa Bay defense with a couple of backup running backs of Deontay Foreman and Juba Hubbard. This is a concerning development for a team that has slowed down the run for the vast majority of the last several years. 
Then when you get to Tampa Bay trying to run the ball on offense, this is the fourth time this year that Leonard Fournette has been held to under 40 yards rushing. Guess what Tampa Bay's record is in those games? If you guessed 0-4, you're right. Not a shot. Can't run the ball. You got a 45-year-old quarterback. You can't support him with a run game. Good luck. Here's how bad the Buccaneers' run game is this season. They're averaging 3.04 yards per carry at the moment as a team this year. If they stay at that pace, that will be the worst rushing performance the NFL has seen since the 2000 San Diego Chargers. I said San Diego, not Los Angeles. The year before they drafted LaDainian Tomlinson. That's what your backfield looks like. The Chargers without Tomlinson. Tampa Bay can't stop the run. They can't run the ball. And oh, by the way, Shaquille Barrett got hurt in this game and is out for the season. The outlook for the Buccaneers has looked murky for the last several weeks. This is officially code red. You can't do anything about a declining 45-year-old quarterback. It is what it is. But the things you are supposed to be good at, running the ball, stopping the run, you're terrible at both. You're not average. You're not mediocre. You're terrible at both. And as long as that's the case, Tampa Bay is in major, major trouble. And I'm going to start with an early blow in the whistle here. I got to blow the whistle on Donovan Smith. You can't get a holding call on what should have been a Cade Otten touchdown. I told y'all last week, I'm blowing the whistle if you do something that costs me personal gain. I have Cade Otten in fantasy. I needed that touchdown. Donovan Smith, pick a better time to hold. Next game, we'll get into the London game. You know, Patrick and I are both tired of saying that, by the way. The London game. The Denver Broncos managed to escape with a 21-17 win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, all the high knees and whatever else Russell Wilson was doing on the flight over to, to England did not pay off in the early going. And, and by the way, I'd love to stop right here and say, you know, I, yes, I am a Russell Wilson fan. I continue to support him, even as he's not having a great season this year. But there are certain things that I'm just like, what are you doing? You, know, you, you can't be this tone deaf. The, the entire internet thinks you're a joke right now. The entire internet hates you right now. They're, you're enjoying your failure. Why are you even sharing the fact that you're running around doing high knees while everybody else is asleep? How about get some rest? Maybe that'll help you get off to a better start in these games. Anyway, Russell Wilson starts this game with an early turnover. And I've talked about in recent weeks that Russell Wilson has had these moments where he's locked in way too much on Cortland Sutton. I don't know what that's about. Cortland Sutton's a good receiver. He's not that guy. When you talk about the elite receivers of the game, you're going way down the list before somebody says, oh, wait, what about Cortland Sutton? So why you're locked in on him as if he's so much better than the other options, I don't know. But Cortland Sutton's supposed to be a big body receiver. He's getting bodied for interception by Tyson Campbell, whose calling card is speed, not physicality. So maybe stop locking in on Cortland Sutton. Now, the Jaguars had an opportunity early to kind of put this game away. They were already up 7-0. They've got the ball right at the goal line. you got a chance to potentially go up 14-0. They should at least be going up 10-0. And with the way the Broncos' offense has looked for most of the season, going up 10-0 is almost a death knell for that team. And Trevor Lawrence throws an interception at the goal line. Justin Simmons, most important position in football, Comes away with the play that the Broncos needed to have any chance to get back in this game. 
But if you're Trevor Lawrence, you just, you just can't make that play in that situation with an opportunity to put a team away. But this is what bad teams struggle to do. Bad teams struggle to put people away when they should. A good team would have scored in that possession and put Denver away early. Now, as the game progressed, you started seeing Russell Wilson all of a sudden find other guys. And all of a sudden, wow, Jerry Judy's making a big play. Jerry Judy ends up scoring a touchdown on another one of those stupid push passes that I can't stand. It's a run, y'all. It's a run. Count it as a run. Touchdown, please. All of a sudden, it's Greg Dolchich making a play. All of a sudden, later in the game, a critical big play from K.J. Hamlin. When you let these other guys get opportunities, Russell Wilson, they're showing that they can make plays. Of the Broncos offense, especially without Javante Williams, they don't have that guy. You know, the internet likes to refer to it as him. The Broncos don't have a him anywhere in that offense, not without Javante Williams. But you've got good players. You've got B, B minus, maybe a, a B plus player in there. Let them work. It is not, it does not have to be all Cortland Sutton. When this ball is spread around, this offense starts to look more coherent. And I'm going to do something I didn't think I would do all year. I'm going to give a little credit to Nathaniel Hackett. Because when you look at who scored these the first two touchdowns for Denver, it was Jerry Judy on clearly a design play. Again, that stupid push pass. And it was Melvin Gordon getting a carry right at the goal line. Now, these are the two of the most disgruntled guys that have been on the team lately. Two of the most frustrated guys. Seems like every week there's a shot on the sidelines of Melvin Gordon for sure. Sometimes Jerry Judy with him looking confused, looking frustrated, looking upset at their quarterback. So to manufacture, and I don't know if it's a hacking decision or not, but I'll give him credit. To manufacture touches for those guys near the goal line to kind of get their morale back up and maybe draw them back in, make them buy back into the team, that was a good thing for the Broncos, I feel. So they, they needed Judy to score. They needed Gordon to feel scored to, to score. They needed those guys to feel good about themselves. Uh, so this offense has some kind of chance of looking at least decent moving forward. Uh, speaking of not looking decent, by the way, Trevor Lawrence, again, I'm not a big uh, – fan of passing yards just because and part of it is because if you throw the ball more you should have more passing yards with that said Trevor Lawrence threw one more pass than Russell Wilson in this game and threw for 119 fewer yards with one more pass so it just goes to show just how inept the Denver off or the, excuse me the Jacksonville passing offense was in this game they had a nice start Trevor Lawrence had a nice throw on the deep corner to Evan Ingram to kick the scoring off and after that, the passing game completely disappeared. It was like after that Justin Simmons interception, nothing got going in that Jacksonville pass game. Now, to Travis Etienne's credit, well, first game after the James Robinson trade, he made him look smart. First time in his career, and Etienne has had over 20 carries in a pro game. He turns it into 156 yards and a touchdown. And it seems like every game he has one of those explosive runs. The question was, can he handle that full workload and one game into the post-James Robinson era? It looks like ETN can. So he was the bright spot for Jacksonville. But, yeah, uh, like I said, the Broncos, they've got to continue to do what they're doing as far as spreading the ball out. This is not a team that's going to be carried by one guy. You know, Latavius Murray ends up giving the game-winning touchdown. you got to spread it around. By the way, Latavius Murray, first player in NFL history to score in London twice in the same season. Good job by you. But uh, Broncos, you don't have that one guy. So it's going to take a total team effort. Russell Wilson, stop locking it on Cortland Sutton. Learn something from this game. You're going into a bye week now if you're the Broncos, a well-timed bye week. 
You've got two weeks to start figuring some things out to figure out how you can keep everybody happy in this offense. And maybe in the second half of the season, we start to see something that looks at least a little bit like what most of us expected from the Broncos moving forward. As for the Jaguars, the one good news for them is they got the Raiders on their schedule next. Yeah, I'm tired of the London games already. Um, but anyway, Denver at Jacksonville, 21-17, as Julius said. Um, Russell Wilson's high knees helped him get that fourth and one sneak. So good job doing your high knees on the plane, Russ. You're a genius. You know more than all of us. You knew you were going to do a quarterback sneak this week. Um, this game was pretty dreadful, in my opinion. I don't feel like the London games are ever good. I don't care if it comes down to the wire and someone kicks a field goal and the game was 9-6. Like, these games have not been good, in my opinion. Um, Russell Wilson, it's funny. I was watching this breakdown, and they were saying that when he's on the left hash, he always throws outside. And that's exactly what he did, and he threw the pick. So, um, Russ, if people on TV can see that, you might want to get in the lab and 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 work on a new move for for that when for that situation. If people are already calling you out on that, um, but uh, yeah, they won, which is great for Denver, and they needed that win. Their defense has played really, really well, and they needed that W bad. Uh, again, they didn't give up twenty points again in a game. Um, you know, I like that Greg Dolchich is getting involved in the offense. Um, Russ normally needs a, a dynamic tight end um, <clears throat> or a good running game. And like you said, once Javante Williams went down, the running game just really isn't there anymore. Um, so I like I like that they're getting him involved. Uh, and he's he's looking like he, he's made two big plays in, the, in his first two weeks back from injury um, for touchdowns. So that's good to see for Denver. Um, yeah, he, I don't know why he singles in on Cortland Sutton either. I don't know if they had like a good training camp together or like that's one of the guys that doesn't give him crap for being himself. Like, I, I don't know why he singles in on Cortland Sutton, but, uh, Sutton is neither DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett. So stop, uh, <laughs> stop, stop focusing in on him so much. Uh, spread the ball around, um, I think that's been his worst trait this year where he's just been singling in on one guy and just trying to force it no matter what. It's like he's not going through his progressions this year, which is really weird for Russell Wilson because I feel like he used to go through his progressions at, in Seattle at least. Um, or maybe DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett just made him look that good. I have no idea. Um, he obviously had wide receivers before that, and that's obviously the last couple years. But um, And the only good thing for Jacksonville is their defense played well again. Uh, kind of kept them in this game. Uh, Trevor Lawrence definitely had some missed opportunities, and I feel like we say this every week with him. But I kind of feel like he's a rookie again. Like I, know, I mean, I know he's not, but I feel like just being under Urban Meyer, just being under that dysfunction, like how can you really learn and 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 become a better player? You know, it's like that's just a dysfunctional thing. So I kind of feel like he's a rookie again, even though I know he's not, and he needs to make a better leap than some of the mistakes that he's made the past few weeks to lose games. Um, very turnover prone. But then you see flashes like the pass to Evan Ingram um, where you're like, man, he can make all the throws. Uh, but yeah, I definitely tri I need Trevor Lawrence to make that jump because the way they were talking about him coming out of college and they talk about him going into college – um, they're making it seem like he's the next Peyton Manning, Andrew Luck type quarterback. And he just does not, I haven't seen that from him, but it's only year two. And like I said, year one was with Urban Meyer. So I will personally give him a little bit more time, just like I would if anybody else was in that situation. Um, 
But again, I have to see something. If it's not at the end of this year, if he starts off next year the way he started this year off, like I, I think, mm-hmm. I think there's a time to panic now, right? Like, so we'll see what happens to the end of the year. Um, but Travis Etienne, our guy, went off and and he's been going yep. off and and 156 yards is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so. Uh, Jacksonville with another loss worth a game they could have won. And I feel like we say that a lot about a lot of teams this year, but bad organizations find ways to lose and a little bit better organizations. I'm not going to say Denver is a good organization, but a little bit better finds a way to win. All right, moving on to one of the most exciting games of the week. Shockingly, uh, the Carolina Panthers at the Atlanta Falcons with Atlanta winning in overtime 37 to 34. Um, I know where Julius is going with this, with this, with this game, and I'm, and I'm <laughs> putting the red light on the blow the whistle. Um, you know, uh, this game was really exciting, and it was for first place in the NFC South, which shockingly Atlanta holds all by itself um, at four and four. Uh, it's definitely did not see that coming into this season at all. I would have Tampa Bay or New Orleans above them, and they're not. Uh, New Orleans has not looked good. Um, they did this week, and Tampa Bay has not looked good. Um, but uh, shout out to PJ Walker for not giving up. I know a lot of people are are you know saying that he played amazing, where he he played good. I'm not gonna sit here and say it's the best quarterback performance I've ever seen, but it wasn't like just because they tied the game late in the fourth quarter on a on a I mean amazing throw. Don't get me wrong, the throw the the touchdown pass to DJ Moore at the end of the game was a beautiful throw. The fourth, no, no. the fourth down throw to DJ Moore that he dropped was a beautiful yep. throw. Um, yep. PJ Walker is showing me flashes of he is a NFL caliber quarterback, but let's not overhype this performance and say that it was the greatest performance we've ever seen. I know Carolina is starving for a quarterback. They haven't had one down there in a while, um, but I'm not going to overreact to it. Because last week he threw for like 179 yards, so let's not let's not overreact to to the one game. But um, again, this this was a really good. Carolina hasn't scored over 30 points in the Sam Darnold Baker Mayfield era, so this is huge. This is huge for the Panthers. Um, you know, I know Julius is going to blow the whistle on DJ Moore. Uh, the only thing I'm, yep. the only thing I'm going to say about this instance uh, because he definitely should not have gotten that penalty after catching the game-tying touchdown. Um, but again, as I said earlier in the Baltimore-Tampa Bay game about Tom Brady and them being humans, you you can't be mad that someone's showing emotion because I love how people were on the internet like, I would have just caught the ball and walked to the bench. No, you wouldn't have. Shut up. I don't want to hear that. No, you wouldn't have. Like if you're, at, if you're trying to tell me, because in my mind, this is what happened. He drops the fourth down pass. He's pissed off about dropping it because he normally doesn't drop passes like that. Thinks the game's over. They miraculously somehow throw a 62-yard bomb through prevent defense, which blow the whistle on the Falcons for not knowing how to play prevent defense. That was horrendous. Um, and so he's excited. And I, I don't blame him. I don't blame him for having emotion. I blame him for not knowing the rules and taking his helmet off and getting a penalty. That's dumb. But also, guess what? This man just probably made the biggest catch of the game, ties it up. The kicker needs to make the kick. I don't care that it was a 48-yarder. That man gets paid either hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of dollars to kick a football. Your job is to kick it through the uprights, which 
he missed another fit kick in overtime that could have won the game for them. So it's not like it's not like yes, the extra point does hurt them here because obviously it would have been a 35 yarder instead of a 48 yarder. But he also missed the game winning field goal in overtime. So at some point we also have to start holding kickers accountable. For me, it's normally if it's within 50 yards, you know, I'm not expecting them to be 100%, but they need to be making those more often than not. If it's 50 and out, I understand missing those types of field goals. You know, wind, elements, that's a long distance. I'm not sitting here saying I could kick a 45-yard field goal. I, don't, I probably couldn't even kick a 30-yard field goal, let's be honest, but I'm not getting paid millions of dollars to do it. That's your one job on the, on the team. Kick kickoffs, kick, kick extra points and field goals. You got to make them. Um, shout out to Atlanta for somehow pulling this game out. Um, <laughs> Don't don't know how they did it. Uh, if you look at if you're just looking at the box score, everything will say that Carolina should have won this game. Uh, they had the most passing yards. They had the best running back. They had the best receiver. Um, but Atlanta is a scrappy team, and and that coach is definitely getting the best out of that group because four and four is not something that I saw out of Atlanta. And there's a few games that they potentially could have won in the last couple seconds that they blew. So. Uh, this team could actually be a lot better than four and four. Although I picked Atlanta to win this game, I was intrigued by the possibility of Carolina winning this game for the sole reason that had they won, and uh, considering the result of the Saints Raiders game, which I do not look forward to talking about, we could have had a situation where the entire NFC South would have been three and five. I was kind of rooting for that kind of doomsday scenario because I'm not a big fan of four team divisions anyway. There's nothing you can do about it now because there's 32 teams in the league, but uh, with four team divisions, you're, you're almost ensured that one of the divisions is going to just be bad from top to bottom. It's just how, just how it is. Uh, I'll start at the end of the game and kind of work my way back. And yes, I do blow the whistle on DJ Moore. And I fully understand the idea that you're frustrated, you're emotional, you just made the biggest play of the game, one of the biggest plays of your career, certainly. But going back to what I said earlier and what I preach as much as I can every week, bad teams find ways to lose. Bad teams can't stand prosperity. You know who doesn't do this in this situation? A team that's six and two right now instead of a team that's two and six. This is the kind of stuff. You know, the, a lot of people have the idea that bad teams just go out there and get beat by 40 every week. That's not how the NFL works. These are the kinds of games you lose when you're bad. These are the kinds of games you lose when you just can't get out of your own way. So that's where I'm blowing the whistle. And when you look at the kick from Eddie Pinheiro, and I'm not going to defend him too much. But when you look at the kick that would have won the game, the extra point that would have won the game, that kick would have been good from 15 yards closer. So it's not like that kick got blocked or something that you could say, oh, it wouldn't have mattered if, if Moore got that penalty or not. That penalty, that penalty yardage was the difference between that kick going in and you winning and that kick not going in and you going to overtime where we all know overtime anything can happen. Now, again, I'm not defending Eddie Pinheiro too much because – the kick he missed in overtime is just all on him. There's no excuse. Marcus Mariota threw an interception in overtime to, to C.J. Henderson as if he thought that was the last play of the game. Like, I, don't, I have no idea why on second down you just throw a Hail Mary to the middle of the field. Uh, I, just, I, I have no clue why you would do that. 
And Henderson returns that kick in the field goal range, well within field goal range, just out of 20. And you can't knock that kick down. That's that's a regular extra point that you missed in overtime. That would have won the game. So, Eddie Pinheiro, you don't get away cleanly, even if we do blame DJ Moore for the first miss. You got to make that second kick if, if you don't make the first. Come on now. Going back to the Moore touchdown for a second, I want to see more teams do this. When you send everybody deep on a Hail Mary, you, you force all the defenders to go back with you. So when you're looking in the end zone, it's normally three receivers and six or seven defenders. I don't like those eyes. I don't like all those hands in the way. What the Panthers did on that more play was just send him deep. Now, you've got a one-on-two situation. And I'll take those odds because one guy can run past two, especially if one of them is a linebacker. I don't know why Atlanta has a linebacker playing at the back end of a three-vent coverage, but they did. So, of course, he predictably gets smoked. But, yeah, I like the idea. Just send your best guy deep and see if he can make a play versus sending everybody deep and just getting a bunch of defenders in the way. So I think more teams should think about executing a Hail Mary like that in that situation. Like you said, that was a great throw by P.J. Walker. Rolling out to his left to make that throw. That was, that was highly impressive. Uh, I'll, I'll say this. P.J. Walker, on the one hand, he's come a long way in just a couple of starts. His first start, he, was, he wasn't willing to throw the ball past the line of scrimmage, basically, in the first start. So to go from that to what we're seeing now is good. At the same time, the bar has been set so low for quarterback in Carolina that P.J. Walker can have a 10-7 lead at the end of the second half. All you got to do is sit on the ball. You're going to halftime with the lead. P.J. Walker throws a pick six at the end of the second half to make sure the Panthers go into half trailing, and it's okay. Like, no one cares because it's not Baker Mayfield throwing that pick six. It's not Sam Darnold throwing the pick six. We're, we, we're just happy that they're not on the field. So go ahead, go ahead, P.J. Walker. Throw a pick six that you shouldn't throw to end the half, a half that we should have gone in the locker room with the lead, but now we go and trail. Again, this is what a 2-16 and 16 does. Uh, so I just had to throw that out there. That, that There's still work to be done, like Patrick said with P.J. Walker. He's certainly showing that he's an NFL-caliber quarterback, just not an NFL-caliber star. And, and then that's okay for a guy that was just in the XFL. So, you know, you'll take that even if you're P.J. Walker. You know you're not going to be the long-term answer, most likely, but you're certainly showing that you can be on a roster and maybe even fill in for a few starts if a team needs you to. It's all you need a backup quarterback to do. Uh, Deontay Foreman was really good in this game. Really good. And Deontay Foreman continues to produce when given the opportunity. Uh, Patrick loves when I throw random stats out there, so I'll throw this random stat out there. Since last Thanksgiving, hopefully that's not too random of a day. Since last Thanksgiving, Deontay Foreman has the same number of 100-yard rushing games as Jonathan Taylor. Just, just throw it out there. Just throw it out there. And we know how much of an opportunity Taylor gets every week versus the opportunities Foreman gets in most of those situations. So I'm just going to say keep feeding Deontay Foreman. He was a very good running back in college. He wasn't the fastest guy. That's, that's what held him back as far as getting drafted. But very good, very productive running back at Texas. Got hurt a lot early in his career. You're seeing him start to round into form. I think the Panthers have something with Deontay Foreman. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not telling you he's going to get a rushing title next year or anything like that, but I think the Panthers might want to consider Deontay Foreman a building block for this offense for the next couple of years. Uh, on the other end, 
Uh, I'll give Tyler Algier a little credit here. Uh, Algier, Algier came into this game with uh, two catches this season, <laughs> and he had three in this game. And when you saw the touchdown that Tyler Algier scored on, you could tell that the defense was caught completely off guard because it's like, wait, wait a minute, he doesn't catch the ball in the backfield. Algier didn't do much as a runner. And, of course, I've talked about how the Falcons are a run-based team. It actually came out the gate throwing in this game, and then they immediately threw an interception. So we we can see why <laughs> they're a run-based team based on that result. But it, it just it just really caught the defense off guard to say, oh, my gosh, that Tyler Algier in, in the passing game? Oh, my gosh. So uh, there are a couple of tendency breakers in this game from Atlanta, some good, some bad, and get away with that against a team like Carolina and pull a win out. Um, I think they're going to have to get back more to what they do best uh, when they face the Chargers next week. I don't know who's going to be healthy or not healthy, who's going to be returning, not returning in the Atlanta backfield next week, but it'll be interesting to see. But uh, it was a nice try. This was a good game for Atlanta to try to come out and try to do something differently. Uh, mixed results at best. And again, I don't want to see what they did a couple weeks ago where they fell behind and never even tried to throw the ball. I don't want to see that, but Atlanta does need to, stick to his identity of being a run first and let the passing game be a complimentary piece. They need to stick to that identity because anything else seems to be a bit too much for this offense to handle right now, even with high profile players in the passing game, like Kyle Pitts and Drake London. All right. Next we go to the game that made Jerry Jones, Michael Irvin and plenty of others proud and made Stephen A. Smith not even show up for work uh, today. That is the Dallas Cowboys with a 49-29 win over the Chicago Bears. And it's crazy that I have to do this, but I have to do this. Cowboys fans, are y'all all right? You know, this is one of the most interesting and strange fan bases I've ever seen, right? So a couple weeks ago, it was all about, uh, we sticking with Cooper Rush. You know, you, you, you can't put Cooper Rush on the bench. Eh? We're, we're winning with Cooper Rush. Doesn't matter that we're winning 20 to 17. We're, we're, we're winning because of Cooper Rush. That Prescott can never do this. Zeke this, Zeke that. Not even close. Zeke's the best. We know well, Pollard can't, can't fit in. No, he's not the guy. We got to keep feeding Zeke, keep feeding Zeke. Are you okay, Cowboys fan? This is the first time all year we've seen your team with Dak Prescott and without Ezekiel Elliott and you score 42 points. I'm not going to count the Micah Parsons touchdown for the offense. You score 42 points. With Dak Prescott, who y'all wanted on the bench, and with Tony Pollard as a feature back, who y'all said couldn't be a feature back. Are you okay, Dallas fans? And then again, these are the only fans that I would have to ask after a 20-point win. Are y'all all right? Because of who won that way. It's just, it's, it's interesting to see, you know, when, when you give guys opportunities and we, we keep seeing it, we keep seeing it, we keep seeing it. Week after week, you can see Tony Pollard's just more explosive and it's not even close, you know, to borrow what Cowboys fans keep telling me about Zeke over the years. It's not even close between Pollard and Elliott. And I'm not trying to insult Ezekiel Elliott. He's still a very useful running back. He's still productive in his own way. He's still hard to bring down. Those things are all true. This Cowboys backfield, and again, this is not to be offensive, but this is just to say my thoughts here. This Cowboys backfield reminds me of when the Titans had Chris Johnson and Lindell White. And with that backfield, you let Chris Johnson be the explosive playmaker and the 1A running back. It doesn't matter if he's a smaller running back. If he's better, he should be getting more of the workload. Let 
Ezekiel Elliott be the Lindell White. Lindell White was scoring all kinds of touchdowns on the goal line when Chris Johnson was first starting to emerge as one of the better running backs in football. And when Chris Johnson started to emerge, it wasn't like he was starting to be one of the better running backs in football because he was getting 25 carries a game. So I'm not sitting here saying, you know, give Tony Pollard a Derrick Henry type of workload. I'm just saying with this backfield split, 60, maybe 65% of the touches should be going to Tony Pollard. And we see what happens. Now, Chicago ain't a great team. So I'm not saying that this is the end-all, be-all. But I am saying when you watch this offense with Tony Pollard in that backfield, it is the most dangerous this offense has looked in a long time. So let Zeke do his role. Again, I'm not saying ban Zeke. I'm not saying don't involve him anymore. I am saying play to your strengths. And right now, the biggest strength you have in that backfield is Tony Pollard. Ironically, I feel like the Bears are in a similar situation. David Montgomery is, is the nominal starter here. And I like David Montgomery. He's a good tackle breaker. Has always run hard, run with power. Khalil Herbert is just better. And it's the same thing. You just see a different level of explosion. The, the runs that uh, David Montgomery will grind out three or four yards for, Khalil Herbert turns into 10 or 12-yard runs. You just see a major difference between the presence of those two running backs. And even in that backfield, I think the same thing. Khalil Herbert needs to take over that backfield. And that's not to say that David Montgomery shouldn't be a part of the offense at all. It's just to say that at some point, you got to acknowledge who the better player is and give that player the ball more. And also understand that, you know, it's, it's a major difference between talking this way about running backs and talking this way about quarterbacks. You know, when Dallas fans were talking about Cooper Rush, well, yeah, you can't give Cooper Rush 65% of the snaps and Dak Prescott got another 35. You know what I'm saying? You got to have one quarterback. So Cooper Rush being that guy never made sense. When I'm telling you Tony Pollard needs to be the guy, I'm not saying eliminate Ezekiel Elliott. And I have to keep emphasizing that because I know what emotional Cowboys fans will say. But the ones that are logical, I'm talking to y'all. Y'all know Pollard should be getting more carries than Zeke moving forward until he shows that he can't do it because it's just, it's night and day. It's night and day. Uh, I got to take a moment here to, to blow the whistle on Justin Fields. And I'll, I'll, before I do so, I'll, I'll take a minute to say Justin Fields is starting to starting to find his form in the NFL. He's starting to show that he can be a pretty solid and productive dual threat. I'd still love to see Justin Fields with actual NFL caliber weapons. I mean, every week I got to watch Valus Jones as a rookie either drop a punt or drop a pass or something. And that's the guy that was drafted to be the help for Justin Fields in a very loaded wide receiver draft class. Yeah, thanks a lot, Bears. Um, but I got to blow the whistle on Justin Fields because of how far out of the way he went to make sure on that Micah Parsons fumble recovery that he didn't touch. I mean, this man hurdled. He showed off a 40-inch vertical. He did everything he had to do to not touch uh, Micah Parsons while he was on the ground. All you had to do is put a finger on him. All you had to do is kick him. I mean, I mean anything. I'm not saying kick him hard. I'm not saying go Urban Meyer on him, but just put a foot on him, something. Just tap him. But to, to go out of your way to make sure you don't touch him, and credit to Micah Parsons, a lot of players would have got up and started celebrating or throwing the ball away or something. Micah Parsons knew what time it was <laughs> once Justin Fields leaped over him. So that was, that was an impressive play. And every week, Micah Parsons has three or four plays where you just look and say, this guy's just different. Uh, and that was a nice signature moment for Micah Parsons. But it was a signature moment that should have never happened. You, you've been in the league long enough, Justin Fields. Know the rules. You got to touch somebody when they're on the ground. You can't let that touchdown happen. 
uh, to really put a nail in this game the way that it did. But uh, overall, impressive win uh, for the Cowboys. Uh, bye week comes at a good time for them. Get guys healthy, uh, Ezekiel Elliott in particular. And, um, yeah, we'll see what the Cowboys have for the second half of the season. As, as for Chicago, uh, they face Miami next week, so it doesn't get any easier. This, they, they might give up 49 points again for all we know. Yeah, this game was never really in doubt. Um, if anyone thought Chicago could actually win this game, I'm sorry to you. Um, Julius kind of hit on all the points, so I'm not going to talk much about this game. But the one thing I would say um, to Cowboys fans is I would be worried about that run defense. Y'all have a lot of smaller, faster guys on that defensive front, which is why you went out of your way to go get Jonathan Hankins. Um, uh, but, and I know him well being a Giants fan, but, um, you know, I, I would be concerned because even though you guys beat Chicago by 20, you still gave up 240 rushing yards. Now, if this was against a better team, you know, that would be problematic most likely. Um, again, I'm not going to sit here and chirp too much on the Dallas Cowboys. They did what they needed to do. They won by 20. So <clears throat> it's not like they had a bad game. Just, um, just, you can't, these are, when I give these critiques and these criticisms, like I do with the bills and how they don't have a great running game. It's more about down the road, right? It's not about right now in this game. It's like, this is something that, that could be problematic down the road. If you're, aspirations are Super Bowl if your aspirations are a long playoff run these are things that when you get to the playoffs and you're playing all good teams besides maybe that first week if you get the seventh seed because the NFC looks like they're gonna have a really bad seventh seed whoever it is um <clears throat> these are things you need to think about um Dak Prescott looks like his thumb is starting to heal more he looks like he's starting to get comfortable in the offense again he had some really good throws in this game Again, he didn't have to do too much. Tony Pollard looked amazing. Um, and I just kind of want to touch on the Ezekiel Elliott-Tony Pollard um, conversation that Julius was having. I agree in the sense that I think Tony Pollard, I don't know if he needs to be the feature back. I don't know if anyone wants to call it what they want to call it, running back one, running back two. I really don't care. If I'm a fan of a football team, I remember when they tried to make Thunder and Lightning a thing with Ron Dane and Tiki Barber. Now, Ron Dane didn't pan out to the Heisman Trophy winner that he was in college, but there's nothing wrong with Ezekiel Elliott not getting 30 carries a game. Y'all wore this man into the ground his first four seasons in the NFL with how many receptions and carries he was getting. He was get almost tallying 400 touches a game, and that doesn't even include pass blocking downs when he's still getting hit. So all that wear and tear on his body... Y'all don't want to give Ezekiel Elliott 25 carries a game. You probably want to give him like 15, let Tony Pollard get around 15, and call it a day because Tony Pollard is the more fresh, um, quicker twitch, whatever you want to call it, out of that backfield door now. Ezekiel Elliott can still bruise you, though. He can still wear down a defensive line, and that's what you need. You want those. You want that complement to each other. I like, I like the CJ2K and Lindell White. Um, comparison that Julius made. Um, obviously, as he said, Ezekiel Elliott is way better than Lindell White, but the point he was trying to make is have someone who has a quicker twitch, more explosive out of the backfield, touch the ball, and then you can give Zeke the four- and five-yard runs where no one's bringing them down, and you guys are getting touchdowns. That is the strength of your offense, your run game. You have a great defense. 
just run it and, and lean back on your defense. As for Chicago, yeah, Justin Fields, you really have nothing around you. You don't have an offensive line. You don't have a receiver. Um, you know, shocker that Byron Pringle and St. Brown were not the answers to your wide receiver core. Um, the wrong St. Brown. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> got the wrong brother. Uh, there's, a re- there's a reason Green Bay let him go. Uh, I can't say the same for Devontae Adams, but there's a reason why they let him go. Um, but... Yeah, there's not much good to say about the Bears. Um, I also agree with you. Khalil Herbert looks like he is ready to take over a backfield. And maybe it's not in Chicago, but he looks like he's ready to take over a backfield. He's running with a purpose every time he touches that ball. Um, I know David Montgomery was still trying to recover from a lower leg injury, which is not easy when your job is to run the football. So maybe that's why he's looking the way he's looking this year. But he's had lower leg injuries uh, pretty much his whole entire career that he's been in the NFL. So... Um, it might be time to also do a nice little timeshare in that backfield as well. Um, Justin Fields does make some throws that you're like, okay, all right, I can see the potential. But then he also makes throws where you're like, what were you looking at? What, did you not go through your progressions? What? So, again, growing pains for Justin Fields. He has nothing around him. I'm going to give this man some grace, give this man some time to see if Chicago does anything to try and help him out um, in the drafts coming up. Because this team is not ready to win. This team this team just does not look like a good team. So hopefully the GM and, and the owner and all of them and the head coach can uh can build around Justin Fields because what they have right now is it's embarrassing that they even put it out on the football field. Alright, the next game is Miami at Detroit, where Miami won thirty one to twenty seven and my Miami stack and uh I would say seventy percent of my fantasy teams of Tua, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Won me the week. I didn't have to even play any other other guys. Those guys won me the week off the jump. Um, Tyreek Hill is proving that it wasn't all Patrick Mahomes, and Patrick Mahomes is proving it wasn't all Tyreek Hill. You see how they coexist, guys? One player, <laughs> one player can be good without another player. It is possible. Tyreek Hill was really that good. Patrick Mahomes is really that good. They do not need each other because they are that good. Did they make each other even go like higher than they normally do? Yes, like they took they took each other as great players, and they made themselves like Hall of Fame players playing together. And Tyreek Hill, mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill is still getting his stats. So again, <laughs> yeah, as Julius has said, um, every week on the podcast, I feel like you can't make somebody better. No one can make somebody better. Besides maybe Matthew Stafford to Kenny Galladay, because I don't know how what happened to Kenny Galladay. I have no idea <laughs> what happened once that man left Detroit. But other than that, if you're if you're a good player, you're pretty much a good player no matter where you go. Just like DeAndre Hopkins when he had those 27 quarterbacks at the beginning of his career in Houston, he was still good, even though they were shitty. He was still good. So, uh, and no one called those quarterbacks good. Let's be real. No one was like, oh man, Matt Schaub is a Hall of Famer. Oh man, Brock Osweiler, this guy's really good. Um, actually, they did think he was good because they gave him a stupid contract. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> um, but Miami came out and won. I'm, I'm Julius. I'm. Uh, I think I'm over the Dan Campbell era already. Um, <laughs> at the beginning of the season, I, I had high hopes, and I was like, "Man, Detroit's turning this this thing around, and and they're gonna, you know, make a name for themselves and and show that they're not the same lions. They're 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 the same lions." Um, <laughs> 
after last week with the Dallas game and then this week with Miami, you got a cornerback lining up in the backfield with the running back. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> um, and, and you still don't stop the touchdown, which makes no sense. Um, I just don't. I have no idea what's going on in Detroit. Again, Jamal Williams is a touchdown hawk, apparently, um, this season. Yeah. Um, I, Jared Goff has been playing pretty well. Like, surprising me that he plays decent in Detroit. I thought he was, his career was going to die when he got to Detroit. But he's clearly not the answer. Um, the defense is horrendous in Detroit. And they have a couple high draft picks on that defense. So... Um, hopefully in a few years, maybe that will turn around for them. But, um, Miami, I just want everyone to hear this. Tua Tagovailoa is a better quarterback than Justin Herbert. I just want everyone to hear this. Every game that he started that he did not almost die in this year, <laughs> they are five and zero. Oh. They could have potentially beat Cincinnati if he did not have that concussion. But we're not going to play the what-ifs. He's 5-0 and in every game that he started that he did not have a serious injury. Can't say the same thing about Justin Herbert. Tua is the real deal. Don't know why everyone was shitting on him when he literally had a career-ending injury, Bo Jackson. And now that he looks like he's fully healthy from that injury, which I don't know if you're ever going to be fully healthy from that injury, Julius, but that he looks like mm-hmm. he's 80 or 90% his regular self, you're seeing what made him so good at Alabama. You're seeing why Jalen Hurts got benched for him. You're seeing why he led them to a national championship game victory after they were down at half to Georgia. You're seeing all the things that made him special. And does he have the biggest arm? No, but guess what? Not every quarterback can throw it 70 yards in the air. I don't know. Did y'all ever see Drew Brees throw it 70 yards in the air? No, and he was a very good quarterback for very many years. Tom Brady hasn't been bombing it all over the field his entire career. I don't know where they got this notion that you need to throw it 80 yards in the air to be a good quarterback. Jamarcus Russell could throw it 70 yards on his knees. What did that do for him? Like, let's just be real. Just because you can throw the football far and hard does not make you a good quarterback. So I don't know where that randomly came from. I don't know what, why it's just Tua that gets that. Like, Chad Pennington played, what, 13, 14 years in the NFL? And that man could throw, like, 20 yards. So, I don't know where this arm strength thing came from. But, anyway, Tua looks like the real deal. I'm happy he's having a good season. I, I kind of called this back bounce this bounce back season for him. Um, if you watched last year when they went on their run, when they went, like, 6-0 and and almost made the playoffs, you could tell that he was starting to get healthy and the team rallied around him and he was a good quarterback. So, if y'all been paying attention, you would have seen this coming kind of like, Julius and I thought that they would have a really good year this year, especially adding someone like Tyreek Hill alongside Jalen Waddle, who is like Tyreek Hill Jr. If Tua stays, yep. if Tua stays healthy, and it looks like they've decided to go Raheem Mostert instead of Chase Edmonds in the backfield, this offense yep. is very scary. I'm gonna say it right now: this offense is scary. You won't get any pushback from me when you go out there and say Tua Tagovailoa is better than Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert has the look. Justin Herbert has the height. He's got the arm. He's got the hair. He's got all, all that stuff. If that if that's what matters to you more than what happens on the field, Justin Herbert's got it. But if you go by 
what they've achieved, the only edge Herbert has is the fact that he's been more durable. Beyond that, on a per game basis, the value that Taco Vailoa brings to a table to the table over Herbert is not really much of a comparison, in all honesty. Again, it's just it's just a style point thing. Why you why why someone would prefer Herbert because he throw the ball through a ship. It was is that a Ravens coach that said that, that that Justin Herbert could throw a ball through a submarine or something like that? Yeah, that thanks. Uh, if you can throw the ball to a submarine, it's probably not going to be a completion. But uh, yeah, yeah, th- thanks for that. Talk about how dangerous this offense is, and yes, they they have gone to Raheem Mostert. Not not a surprise because he, he was under Mike McDaniel with San Francisco. So. And then Raheem Mostert has always, always been good when healthy. It's just that last year, I mean, last year he got hurt, I think, on his first or second carry of the season. I mean, he just had as terrible an injury luck as as anybody. But um, Mostert has stayed healthy. They've managed his workload just right. And he's he's solidified that backfield. But to talk about how scary this offense is, this is the fourth game this year that Tyreek Hill has had at least 160 yards receiving it's also the fourth game this year that Jalen models had 100 yards receiving like that, that that's just nasty like no, normally when one wide receiver gets 160 yards it's because nobody else really did anything <laughs> this offense is so good these two yeah like you don't even need much like like it's you hard you're hard pressed to name another Dolphins receiver I mean I can name Trent Sherfield but I mean most people can't even name who else <laughs> It's not enough at receiver for the Dolphins because you literally only need these two guys. What, what are you going to do? You going to take away Tyreek Hill? Okay, Jalen Waddle flies by everybody. Take away Waddle, Tyreek Hill flies by everybody. And when I say fly by everybody, it's not necessarily a go route. It's whatever they catch the ball on. It could be a go route. It could be a slant route. It could be a screen pass. <laughs> they can leave the, the defense in the dust from anywhere on the field. Now, here's, here's, here's my fun stat because I did promise Patrick a fun stat. So I mentioned... And Tyreek Hill has 160 yards in four games this year. The rest of the NFL has five games with 160 yards received. Like Tyreek Hill is almost matching the rest of the league in 160-yard games by himself. And by the way, one of those five games that wasn't Tyreek Hill getting 160 yards, it was Jalen Waddle. So five of the nine hundred sixty-yard performances we've seen from wide receivers this year have been from the Dolphins. <laughs> and by the way, they haven't come in games that Tua didn't play. But <laughs> but this offense is just ridiculous. Again, I I'm not going to sit here and do too much hyperbole. So I don't want to sit here and say, "Oh, this is the greatest wide receiver duo ever" or anything like that. But. This is probably the duo I would say can embarrass you more than any other duo I could ever think of. This is the duo that you you almost cry going up against because you can't be hit. <laughs> you can't hide. Either one of these guys can fly by you, and there's not much you can do about it except hope that your front seven gets to the quarterback before these guys can get loose because I, I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. You can't key on either one of these guys as long as the other one is out there. So I, I have no solution for how you handle this except for, like I said, you, you just got to hope that the pressure gets there and uh, Tua just doesn't have time to throw the football. Otherwise, good luck to you. Uh, as for the Lions, scored 27 points in this game. Considering the fact that they scored a combined six points 
in their previous two games, 27 is a good step back in the right direction. Now, you remember the first few weeks of the season, the Lions were one of the more entertaining teams to watch. They kept losing, but they were scoring a lot of points. These last couple weeks, they didn't have DeAndre Swift. They didn't have Amon Ross St. Brown. And this offense went to the tank. So these guys are absolutely needed for this offense. And neither one is playing at full capacity right now. If you look at St. Brown, he's not coming out with the same explosion that we saw him have earlier in the season. DeAndre Swift only touched the ball 10 times in this game. So they're not back. But just having their presence in that lineup is the difference between the Lions being a team that can go out and get you 27, 30, 33 points a game versus a team that can barely score without those two on the field. So uh, nobody is happier than Jared Goff to see those two guys return, and hopefully those two guys can stay healthy. That's been Swift's problem throughout his career, uh, staying healthy. Uh, they, they need him. They need St. Brown. The defense is what it is for the Lions. They're not going to stop anybody. But, uh, you know, as long as the Lions have those two key pieces healthy, they can at least be entertaining. They might be one in six. And again, bad teams find ways to lose. The Lions were actually winning for most of this game by 10 and 14 points for a lot of this game and just couldn't sustain it because a bad team's not going to sustain it. They didn't make a major mistake or anything. They just got beat by a better team. But uh, this is going to be the case most weeks for Detroit the rest of the season. I, I just hope they're fun to watch. We know they're going to lose. I just hope they remain fun to watch. All right, next game we're going to get into is the Minnesota Vikings scoring the 34-26 to 26 win over the Arizona Cardinals. The Vikings improved to 6-1. and one, And the more I start to think about it, the more I want to say that maybe, just maybe, Kevin O'Connell is the guy we should be looking at. We keep hearing every week about Brian Dayball, and let's not shortchange him at all. But I'm starting to think Kevin O'Connell might actually be your coach of the year. Because when the season started, I said that, you know, Kirk Cousins was going to be like a, fam a fantasy-friendly type of player, fantasy football-friendly, but he wasn't going to be great in real life. And I thought Kevin O'Connell would come in because we have so many coaches do this. They're offensive-minded coaches. They come from brilliant offenses, and they want to prove their worth. They want to prove how genius they are. They want to show you that they can light up the scoreboard and that they can make every play a 30, 40, 50-yard bomb or whatever the case may be. And it ends up backfiring more often than not. That's kind of what I expected to see from the Vikings. A lot of points, a lot of yards, a lot of stats, and a lot of, well, not a lot of, but a fair amount of losing. Here's another stat for you, Patrick. As you know, I'm throwing them out, I'm throwing them out there today. Since 2016, Kirk Cousins has thrown for 300 yards or more 32 times. In those 32 games, Kirk Cousins is a 500 quarterback. 15, 15, and 2. He is exactly 500 since 2016. So, so we're talking about a good sample size here, six years plus. Kirk Cousins is a 500 quarterback when he throws for 300 yards, mainly because it's a lot of stat pad involved to get those numbers. This year, Kirk Cousins has zero 300-yard passing games, and his winning percentage is 857. Moderate Kirk Cousins is good for you. Now, I'm not talking about completely hiding Kirk Cousins. That's not what Minnesota's doing. 
Hiding a quarterback is what Tennessee did with Malik Willis. Hiding a quarterback, we, we've seen that in other cases. We saw that in a, in a game with Buffalo and New England last year with Mac Jones. That's what hiding your quarterback looks like when they're only throwing the ball single-digit times or 10 times. Well, I'm not saying hide Kirk Cousins, but I am saying limit Kirk Cousins. When you have moderate Kirk Cousins, you get good results. And Cousins had some nice plays in this game. I'll, I'll give him his credit. The touchdown to running head, which I feel like he should do that more often because he has the wheels to do it. He's not a 4-4 guy or anything, but he knows how to run. He had a good touchdown run. He had a nice, nice touchdown pass to K.J. Osborne on, in a tight window on an out route. So I will give Cousins the credit where it's due. And I, I know there's plenty of people out there that say, oh, I'm a Cousins hater, this, that. I just, I just speak objectively about the man. I'll give him his props when he deserves them. But Kevin O'Connell has been the one to come in and say, look, we don't need you to go out there and throw for 350, 400 yards. We don't need to win because of Kirk Cousins. We just need to win with Kirk Cousins. A huge difference between those two statements. And I just appreciate the fact that Kevin O'Connell hasn't come out here and tried to prove a point, tried to prove that he's the guy that can fix a quarterback. He's the guy that can turn Kirk Cousins into an MVP and make Michael Irvin's predictions come true. No, he just come out here and said, I'm doing what's best for the team. That is leaning on this defense more than people realize leaning on our run game and letting Kirk Cousins be the perfect complimentary piece in this offense. It has been a perfect recipe so far. And if they keep it up, this Vikings team can be a bit more dangerous than people realize. Now let's get to how this game finished. This game was 28, 23 late in the third quarter. Isaiah Simmons, my guy, I talked about him last week. Comes in, gets a strip sack on Kirk Cousins. Gets the fumble recovery. Sets the Cardinals up in perfect position to take the lead because they're deep in Minnesota territory when this happens. That Minnesota defense comes out, holds them to a field goal. Now it's 28-26, but you didn't preserve the lead, not because of your quarterback, because of your defense. Go on later. Arizona gets the ball back. They got a punt. Uh, excuse me. Minnesota gets the ball back. They got a punt. Greg Dortch, another fumbled punt. What is going on in the NFL? I'm, I'm starting to throw the, the blow the whistle, throw the flag on all these. Catch punts. <laughs> you got one job. Okay, Greg Dortch, look around you at the depth chart. Depth chart is, is getting worse and worse in the wide receiver position as far as your ability to get on the field. you got to impact the game through special teams. You can't be out here fumbling punts when your team is down two points in the fourth quarter and they need the ball. You, you know, everybody else is coming through. Jordan not. So that's the play that set up that Cousins touchdown that I was talking about earlier. But it's not like they have to march down the field. Greg Dortch gives them a short field with the game on the line. Kyler Murray throws a couple interceptions in this game, both by safeties, Harrison Smith and Cameron Bynum, playing the most important position in, in football, making the big plays that are the difference in this game. I've talked about turnover margin being the most important stat. When your safeties get you an interception apiece, That'll help you win the most important stat in football. Another guy I want to talk about is Zadarius Smith. And for as much as we talk about Devontae Adams and how big of a loss he was for Green Bay, it's time to acknowledge the fact that Zadarius Smith is looking like just as big of a loss for the Packers. And that's with acknowledging that Rashawn Gary is having a great season in Green Bay. Don't get that wrong. But if you had Rashawn Gary and Zadarius Smith, you might have that dominant defense that you need to overcome that inconsistent offense in Green Bay this year. Zadarius Smith is tied for the lead, lead in sacks. 
He has five in the last two games, five sacks in the last two games. Zedaria Smith leads the league in tackles for loss. Zedaria Smith is the main reason that this defense is good enough considering what the offense can do for the Vikings to make a run. And I just wanted to give Zedaria Smith his credit. The last stat I'll throw at you, and then I'll get it to Patrick. Kyler Murray, since DeAndre Hopkins got back, Kyler Murray averages 7.3 yards a pass. Without DeAndre Hopkins and with Marquise Brown as the number one, that average was at 5.8. That is a massive difference, a yard and a half per throw, considering that the Cardinals throw the ball 40-plus times a game. A yard and a half per throw, and you're throwing the ball 40 times, that adds up real quick. This just goes to show. Marquise Brown is not a number one wide receiver. He wasn't the number one wide receiver in Baltimore. He's not a number one wide receiver in Arizona. As soon as there wasn't a, a transition here, Marquise Brown got hurt the week before Hopkins' suspension was over. As soon as Brown was out and Hopkins was in, this offense looks a lot better in Arizona. And I'm not here to tell you that, that Marquise Brown is not a useful player. He's just not a wide receiver number one. I, I would love to see uh, Marquise Brown playing next to DeAndre Hopkins and be a complimentary piece along with Rondell Moore. That is the spot that Marquise Brown is built for, but he is not built to be a wide receiver one. People blame that on Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. He's gone to a more pass-friendly, pass-happy system with supposedly a better passer, and the offense looks way better when someone not named Hollywood Brown is number one wide receiver. Just had to throw that out there. That's just that, y'all. Yeah, my Minnesota making the playoffs pick is looking pretty nice right now just because this division is god-awful. Um, <laughs> I, You know how I feel about Cliff Kingsbury. I'm not even going to get into this. I, I, Arizona, to me, always underperforms. Even when they were like 10-0 and last year or 9-0, and whatever it was, they started the season off last year really hot, 6-0, and 7-0, 8-0, and then – Barely made the playoffs. Went out week. Went out first round. Um, it's I don't even know what to say about Arizona. Like I feel like they underperform all the time. And yes, I'm with you. The uh, muffed punt is definitely the reason they lost this game. I don't know if they get the ball right there, if they go down and score or kick a field goal, any, anything. But that muffed punt definitely, um, definitely cost them this game. Uh, but again. As you and I have talked about on multiple occasions, good teams find ways to win. Bad teams find ways to lose. And for everyone who thought special teams was not important, I feel like this week was a great reminder of how important special teams is. Carolina misses an extra point and a field goal in overtime. They lose the game. There was muff punts in multiple games that Julius has already brought up. I won't go back over those. Big plays, gave up points, could have cost you the game. And in this situation, I feel like it did cost you the game. Um, so for as much as people love offense and defense, there is that third component to a football team, which is your special teams. You've seen what a great kicker can make your team look like. Look at Justin Tucker. When he goes out on the field, no one is hanging their head down. No one is holding their hands praying to the sky. They're all like, he's got this. And don't get me wrong. Has he missed before? Yes. Does he miss often? No. That's what having a good special teams will do for you. Uh, getting into the game, you know, again, uh, DeAndre Hopkins, guys, is back. It doesn't even look like he missed a beat. Like last week, 
we kind of talked about on Thursday night. It looked like he was a little rusty, kind of trying to... He still had 100 and something yards receiving, but it just looked like he wasn't really in sync. His touchdown catch in this game was a one-handed, just beautiful catch. Um, he also had another catch where he got headhunted by uh, Harrison Smith, and I feel like they should have thrown a flag on that. I feel like they normally do for other people, so that was interesting to me that the NFL always talks about safety of their players, and then you see a helmet-to-helmet hit right there or shoulder-to-helmet, and nothing's called or he doesn't even get looked at. You know, nothing really happened from that, so that's why I always blow the whistle on the NFL because they preach player safety, and I don't see anything happening for players that aren't quarterbacks, let's be honest. And even if you're a certain kind of quarterback, you're not getting calls. You're not getting protection. So um, it's ridiculous in my opinion. But uh, Julius hit on most of the main points for me. Um, you know, I, I don't really have much more analysis on this game. Uh, Dalvin Cook had a good game, uh, which is good for him because he kind of got bottled up the last few weeks. But uh, Minnesota definitely has a winning formula right now. Lean on the run game. Kirk Cousin thrives in the play action like most quarterbacks do. Um, and if you can get those linebackers moving up, even if it's one yard off the play action, that opens up those crossers and 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 seam routes and, and slant routes that Justin Jefferson can take to the house. Adam Thielen can make those catches. So, um, you know, it it's fun to watch Minnesota right now win. Uh, Kirk Cousins is going to Washington next week. I can't wait to to see the reunion there, see what kind of a response he gets at FedEx Field. Moving on to the next game, New England at New York Jets, and the Patriots won this 22-17. to um, I had no faith in the Jets. I still don't have faith in the Jets, and I had no faith in Zach Wilson going up against Bill Belichick. And this is where the passing yards don't really matter, like Julius and I talk about a lot. I'm not saying that they don't matter at all, but those yardage yardage stats are are kind of eh, you know. Zach Wilson threw for three hundred fifty five yards. The Jets had seventeen points. So what did all those yards get you, right? So again, it's you have to watch the game, look at the box score, and kind of see what what, what was going on during the game. Um, Ramondre Stevenson keeps showing that he should probably be the running back one in New England, as we were talking about running back ones, running back twos um, for a lot of teams. I, I love his game, uh, Julius. If I had a chance to draft him this year in fantasy, I did. Uh, I just like his versatility, catching out of the backfield, uh, running the ball. He just looks, like as we've talked about, more explosive than Damian Harrison. I'm not saying that Damian Harris is not a good running back. Um, I think he has his role. I think he's a bruiser-type running back. He He can wear down the defensive front, but... Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, again, just I feel like has that more explosion coming out of the New England backfield. Uh, Mac Jones was back as the full-time starter, not the uh, first quarter have a bad series get pulled starter. Um, they won the game. He didn't look great. Uh, he, he, he didn't look terrible, though. Um, uh, but, yeah, New England beats the Jets. I, I, again, Garrett Wilson had a good game uh, You know, as a, as a rookie wide receiver. This rookie wide receiver class has a lot of good re- receivers in it. Um, Elijah Moore was once again not heard of, so I hope they trade him so he can go and try and thrive in a different offense. I don't really know what's going on in New York. Um, I mean, I do know that uh, Brees Hall got injured, and I, that made this offense look a lot less uh, explosive. Uh, um, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> but, um, but if Zach Wilson's going to throw for 355 yards, I need him to get more people involved. I need him to go through his progressions. I need to see – 
I need to see Elijah Moore get involved. Corey Davis is hurt. He's not playing. So why is Elijah Moore not getting more targets? It just doesn't make sense to me. Um, just trade him. If I just trade him, then if you're not gonna give him a chance, like he's not a bad receiver. We he showed last year that he can. I'm not saying he's a wide receiver one, but he can he can catch the ball and do and do some work with it. So I'm just confused by the Jets' philosophy right now. I think they're about to fall hard in the standings. I I think this this magic uh, start to the season is going to lose all of its uh, powers coming up uh, because they have to still play. So they got Miami without Tua. They're going to get Miami with Tua, you know, barring any type of injury to Tua. Um, They get the Bills still, and they just lost to New England. So they're not in an easy division. Um, Brees Hall's hurt, so I just see this team kind of dropping. New England's New England. I I don't think they're going to make the playoffs this year either. Their team, it was not a convincing win. The defense did what it did. But I feel like Belichick always has New England ready to play the Jets, regardless of who's the quarterback. So, you know, this this game kind of went how I thought it would. So going back to uh, what we did when we did our preseason analysis, one thing I said about the Jets is they just they can't have nice things. And I actually said that when, when Zach Wilson got hurt needlessly in the preseason without really being touched. I'm like, you know, this this team – Looks like it's going to take a step forward. They had a great draft. They just can't have nice things. And they get off to a 5-2 and two start, the Jets. And you're thinking, well, maybe they can't have nice things. But Brees Hall gets hurt. And we quickly saw in this game. And Patrick said, hey, those, <laughs> ignore those passing yards. That was a mess. Brees Hall had become the identity of this team the moment Zach Wilson got back. Think back to when Joe Flacco was starting. They were slinging the ball all over the yard for some reason. Don't don't know what that was about. But Joe Flacco was, was top three in passing yards for as long as he was in the starting lineup because the Jets just decided to, to make him the modern Kirk one. I, I don't know what that was about. But from day one, you know, and I talked about the Vikings and how they moderate Kirk Cousins. And there's a difference between moderating your quarterback and hiding your quarterback. The Jets hid Zach Wilson as long as Brees Hall was available. This was the first game where the Jets had to go out there without their offensive identity with Zach Wilson at quarterback. And it was disastrous on offense. It's not just that Zach Wilson went out there and threw three interceptions. When you watch the interceptions, each one of them, it's not like they were tipped or he was hit as he released the ball or the receiver ran the wrong route and fell down. Every one of his interceptions, Interceptions. We, so we talk about earned interceptions, unearned interceptions. These are all on the quarterback. These are earned interceptions. Every last one of them, you're looking like, what were you doing? He threw one interception where he was supposed to be throwing the ball away. There was literally no receiver in the area. And instead of getting the ball out of bounds, and Zach Wilson has a, a cannon arm. He's one of these big arm quarterbacks that everybody loves. Didn't do much in college, but he's got the big arm. He couldn't get the ball out of bounds. A gift interception for Devin McCourty. There was another one where he scrambled to his right and then just bolted the ball to a defensive back. I mean, I, I don't know what he was doing. Shout out to Devin McCourty for getting two interceptions while playing the most important position in football. And I love that Devin McCourty and Kyle Duggar combination at, at safety. Uh, that that kind of combination at safety will uh, keep you relevant even when you're not that good of a team all around. But yeah, these Zach Wilson interceptions, you're like, well, what, what are you doing? And even in his post-game press conference, Zach Wilson was struggling to explain why he made these throws. All three of his interceptions, go back and look at them, 
they were horrible looking throws where you could not try, you could not decipher what he was trying to do. Now, I talk about, again, bad teams finding ways to lose. Now, the Jets, again, came into this game five and two. So I'm not calling them bad this year, but they are a team. They, they've got the longest playoff drought in the league. This is a bad franchise right now. The Jets were up 10 to three. Michael Carter, the second, playing the most important position in football, already had one interception on Mac Jones in this game. Michael Carter, the second, not to be confused with the running back, Michael Carter. Michael Carter, the second, the safety, gets a second interception in this game and runs it back for a touchdown. That pick six was going to put the Jets up 17 3. That pick six was going to make Bill Belichick have to make some decisions. Matt Jones versus Bailey Zappi. That was going to come up again had that pick six stood. John Franklin Myers gets called for a roughing the passer on a hit that did not affect the throw. And now all of a sudden, you give the Patriots a second chance at this game. And they come back and eventually get it. That's the kind of thing that caused bad teams games. A good team is going to get that pick six, go up 17-3, and put Mac Jones away for good. The Jets are turning it back into that bad team. And it's unfortunate because defensively, they still look really impressive. And they got a lot of young guys out there looking real good. We've talked about Sauce Gardner plenty on here. Talked a little bit about DJ Reed. And like I said, Michael Carter the is out there making plays now. They look good on defense. But with Zach Wilson, this was the first game really that Zach Wilson was asked to do something. The first game where they couldn't hide Zach Wilson and he went down in flames in this game. And I don't want to be too harsh on a second-year quarterback. We've talked about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields earlier in this podcast and how we're trying to be patient with them. I'm trying to give the same grace to Zach Wilson. The problem for me, and I'll admit this, the problem for me is I was thoroughly unimpressed with Zach Wilson's college career. So it's harder for me to be patient with him because he looks the way, to me, looked at BYU. We'll see if Zach Wilson can, can make something of this. Uh, like you said, he, he just can't get Elijah Moore involved in the offense at all and to the point where Elijah Moore, Elijah Moore quit this offense, basically, when Zach Wilson got his spot back, uh, when he came back from injury. That, that's just how bad Wilson's been. Now he's been able to, he was able to find Garrett Wilson in this game. Welcome back to the offense, Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson had 115 yards in this game. In his previous four games combined, Garrett Wilson had a total of 100 yards. So that had to feel like a relief for Garrett Wilson. And a lot of those yards were not in, you know, like on garbage time situation. Garrett Wilson was getting uh, meaningful catches in this game while it was still competitive. And it, not, not that this game was ever uncompetitive, but yeah, Garrett Wilson, it was not like this was just all fourth quarter while we're trying to come back all Garrett Wilson's pad stats. Now, Garrett Wilson made some nice catches throughout the course of this game, and the team was very conscious about getting him the ball in different ways, manufacturing touches even in the backfield. They wanted to get Garrett Wilson the ball. But, yeah, Zach Wilson, it, this is not looking good for you, and it's hard to feel worse about a 5-3 and three team than I feel about the Jets right now. And again, it just goes back to that Brees Hall injury. There's so many nice stories around the Jets this year, but you just feel like they are not going to overcome the Brees Hall situation. All right. Now, quite frankly, I really don't feel like doing this. 
this is this is the part of the show where I almost want to be like Stephen A and just call out. But we're going to do this because I'm trying to be semi-professional about this. So the next game we're going to talk about, unfortunately, the New Orleans Saints with a 24-0. I said zero win over my Las Vegas Raiders. Derek Carr barely averaged four yards of pass in this game. Matter of fact, he didn't. 101 yards on 26 throws. That's under four yards of throw, y'all. Under four yards of throw. If you're running the ball for less than four yards per attempt, that's bad. Less than four yards per pass? Unheard of in the modern day of football where every new rule favors the passing game. This is the same Derek Carr that I've had to hear for years and years. He's top 10. He's top five. Why do you hate your own quarterback? Why can't you give him credit for being top five, top 10? Watch what Derek Carr does when he gets a true number one wide receiver. I'm watching what he does with a true number one wide receiver. And here's what's happening. Right now, when you have conversations about who the best wide receiver in football is, in the, over the past three years or so, Devontae Adams' name has come up in that conversation. This year, you ask who the best wide receiver in football is, you're talking about Stephon Diggs, well, Tyreek Hill, still talking about DeAndre Hopkins, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase. Those, those are the names that come up now. How far down the list do you have to go before you get to Devontae Adams now? That's what Derek Carr has done to him, knocking completely out of that conversation. By the way, thanks, Devontae Adams, for your one catch of three yards yesterday and your negative one-yard rushing attempt. Appreciate you. I said before the season started, if Derek Carr is who you tell me he is, and I promise you I've watched a lot more Derek Carr than you have, but if Derek Carr is who you, and I'm using a general you, not talking to Patrick, not talking to any one person in the audience, just you, generic, if he is who you tell me he is, then this Raiders team with this personnel with Josh Jacobs running the ball the way he had for the last three weeks coming into this game, this offense should be top five to seven in the league at worst. Instead, we score zero. Go online right now and check out all the scores from the NFL this week. Show me who else got zero. Show me who else couldn't get double-digit points this week. The Raiders are facing a defense that did not have Marshawn Lattimore. You're facing a shorthanded secondary with one of the top receivers in football, and you can't get him to football. The Raiders did not cross midfield. Forget crossing the goal line. The Raiders did not cross midfield until after Derek Carr was benched in this game. This team is so desperate for offense at this point that there was a fake punt in the second quarter in their own territory. When you're down 7 nothing, you're down 7 nothing in the second quarter, and you're panicking to the point where you're trying onside kicks because your offense needs that much of a spark that early in the game. Now, I am blowing the whistle on Josh McDaniels for the fact that you had a third and one on that possession, didn't let Josh Jacobs touch the ball. 
You decide to go for fourth and two. You don't let Josh Jacobs touch the ball. Josh Jacobs has been the offense the last three weeks. How does he not touch the ball in either one of those plays? This is what I'm talking about when I talk about the difference between him and somebody like Kevin O'Connell. Kevin O'Connell's not trying to show you that Kirk Cousins is great. He's trying to show you that he can put a great team together. Josh McDaniel seems to want to try to show you that he can make Derek Carr great. And now you're seeing Derek Carr for who he is. Mediocre. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just stick to this game. Tyron Matthew had an interception in this game. Of course he did. Most important position in football. Certainly you're going to make a play against Derek Carr with the way this team looks right now. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just tired of seeing it. I'm tired of seeing it. And the thing is, I had no expectations for the Raiders going into the season. I was the guy saying that the Raiders are going to finish in last in the AFC West. That wasn't me trying to say that as some type of reverse psychology or anything. I looked at these teams and said, that's the worst team. And here's the thing. The AFC West has been a very disappointing division this year outside of Kansas City. And the Raiders are still the worst team in that division. Ask me how that makes me feel as a fan. Congratulations to Peyton Turner of the Saints. You never heard of Peyton Turner? I don't blame you. Peyton Turner, in eight games in his career, he was drafted last year, and he's been hurt a lot going back to high school. Peyton Turner, in his NFL career before this game, had one sack. He got two sacks in this game. So he tripled his career total in sacks because he's facing the Raiders and this sorry offense that can't do a thing. Yeah, Alvin Kamara scored three touchdowns on his defense. And that ain't even the reason you lost. Alvin Kamara had fun with this defense. Alvin Kamara reaching, reaching behind his back to put the ball in the end zone. No respect for this defense. And yet the defense is the strong point of the team right now. I didn't expect the Raiders to be good this year. But I, I sure didn't expect to be shut out ever, let alone shut out by a shorthanded defense fresh, up, fresh off of getting carved up by the Cardinals last week. Get, get this team out of my face. I'm, I, you know, again, I, I said it before, and I'll say it one more time. Jacksonville's had a lot of bad news these last few weeks. Jacksonville's got one piece of good news coming their way, and that's the Raiders are going to be in town next week. Trevor Lawrence, this is your get right game. Yeah, this is uh, one of the biggest upsets of the week. To me, not because I think Las Vegas is a super good team, but I did not see the donut. Even Houston scored 10 points, so it's just like... <clears throat> at, at some point, you know, I'm not a big blame the coaches type person you and I talk about all the time how we think coaching is a little bit overrated more so NBA than the NFL but you know everyone wants to blame coaching for everything all the time um even in the MLB like they're Dusty Baker's the reason they lost game one um <laughs> you know which can a manager make a mistake by not pulling a pitcher or calling the wrong shift or something yes but in baseball just like in football, just like in basketball, it all comes down to the players executing whatever you're trying to do. And zero points in an NFL game these days is almost unheard of. And I don't know if it's like you said, Josh McDaniels trying to prove that his offense is good without Tom Brady. 
that he can be a head coach. But, you know, some coaches are just better at being coordinators. We talked about this a lot with Nathaniel Hackett in Denver and some other new head coaches that have had high praise being heaped on them coming into the season. It looks like Josh McDaniels is just suited to be an offensive coordinator because his head coaching stops have not been anything to be excited about. Um, Josh Jacobs has been having a ridiculous year, and you pretty much don't use him. It's like this this game was never really out of reach. It wasn't like it was 28 to nothing in the second half, and you're like, all right, we got to throw to win this game. Um. Yeah, Las Vegas just shocked me with just, you know, I'm not saying Derek Carr is a top five, top ten quarterback, but I do think Derek Carr is better than what he's showing. Derek Carr looked way better with no weapons last year besides Hunter Renfro. And then it's like, well, we're bringing in Josh McDaniels so that, and Devontae Adams. This offense is going to take a huge leap. And they've regressed. And I think a part of that was at the beginning. They are trying to get Devontae Adams too involved. Um, yep. Now I'd, I'd, you, got, you started getting Josh Jacobs involved, and the offense started to look better and started to click. And then I don't, I don't even know. Got no words for it. It's not like New Orleans came out and just manhandled the Raiders. It, it, the Raiders beat themselves, essentially. Um, Kamara had three touchdowns. He, he looked good amid trade rumors. Um, Andy Dalton didn't need to do much, but he didn't hurt the team in, in the W. So I think we're just going to keep seeing Andy Dalton start until he has a classic Andy Dalton blow-up game. I don't see them bringing Jameis Winston back out, unfortunately, until, again, Andy Dalton looks bad. Like, bad, bad. So, because um, at this point, I don't think James Winston's been on the injury report. So, I don't think they're saying he's injured anymore. I think he's just not starting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, unfortunately for James Winston, an injury caused him to lose his starting job. Again, the offense wasn't looking good under him the first three weeks. But if you also have broken vertebrae, I don't know how good you can play the quarterback position in the NFL. So, um <laughs> And he didn't have Kamara. So, you know, it's just, it's just weird how these things happen, right, to certain quarterbacks. So, because, um, again, it's not like Andy Dalton's going out and throwing for 400 yards every game. But um, with the win, New Orleans is back in their division hunt. And shocking, <laughs> shockingly, only one game out. So we'll hmm. see if they can turn their season around when they get some of these guys back from injuries. As for Vegas, I think their season's over. They're, they're going for a yeah. lottery pick. Oh, lottery pick. Yeah. I'm in, I'm in NBA mode. They're going for a top <laughs> top five, top ten pick. Um, yeah. yeah. At this point, I just think the season is is over. Um, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about the Raiders, unfortunately. So the next game is the Pittsburgh Steelers at the Philadelphia Eagles, and fly Eagles, fly that pick to win the NFC and be the best team in the NFC looks to be just running full steam ahead, Julius. Um, Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown had a amazing first half, and they didn't need to really do much after that. Um, I know there's trade rumors for Kamara here uh, at, for Philly. I mean, I think that puts them over the top, and I think that's just a crazy addition. I wouldn't do it, though, for a first-round pick. Uh, I like Miles Sanders. You know I do. I think Miles Sanders is a good running back. 
I don't think they need to add Alvin Kamara. I'm not saying don't add Alvin Kamara, but um, if it's for a hefty price, I wouldn't mortgage you know that first round pick right now. Um, just because you can keep building your team while you guys are running with a great team, right? Try and keep some of these first-round picks hitting or trade them and get better players because the Eagles draft selections have not been great the recent years. Um, but this this game, they didn't need to come back out after halftime. Um, it was really it was it was a one-sided game. I know Pittsburgh got some points on the board, but this wasn't even a contest. I'm blowing the whistle on the NFL for drug testing AJ Brown uh, <laughs> immediately after this game. No, it was the next day, but still, um, they say random. It just seems weird that a guy has a three touchdown game in the first half, and 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 now we're drug testing him. Um, Pittsburgh's not good though, so their secondary got carved up by the Bills. Was was were Diggs and and Gabriel Davis and. Shakir getting drug tested. I don't remember hearing about it, but you know, um, Philly looks good. They didn't really play a hard opponent. Uh, they get another W in the win column and that's all you got to do. And the NFL is just keep winning with the teams that are put in front of you. So, um, big win for Philly, uh, just to kind of keep that lead on Dallas and the giants in their division. Um, and just, I, I have nothing bad to say about Philly in this game. Uh, Pittsburgh again, um, Mike Tomlin, unfortunately, is going to get that losing record this year. Uh, it's the that's the that's the, I feel the worst about that. They just too many injuries overcoming that team. Kenny Pickett doesn't look like he's an NFL starting quarterback right now, and this offense, no. Najee Harris, is lost in the shuffle. Um, I expect moves to be made for this team. I, I don't expect all their receiving core to stay. I'm not saying Harris is going to get traded, but. I would expect some trades to be made before the deadline to try and get some more draft capital for this team because they have a lot of building to do uh, post-Ben Roethlisberger. Does anybody know if the Steelers like slid into A.J. Brown's DMs and tried to make fun of him? Did, did the Steelers like contact his family without his permission? Did they try to holler at his girl? I mean, what did the Steelers do to get A.J. Brown in the mood he was in for that game. It's tough to handle A.J. Brown on a regular day. And that goes back to Mississippi when it was teammates with D.K. Metcalf and everybody was enamored with Metcalf. And I had to keep reminding people when they were teammates in college, A.J. Brown was better than D.K. Metcalf. That's how good A.J. Brown is. D.K. Brown destroyed this secondary. And manhandled Minka Fitzpatrick in particular in a way I have never seen Minka Fitzpatrick be manhandled. And it, did, it wasn't just enough to destroy them. He had to crush their soul with every celebration. I mean, every celebration A.J. Brown had, he had three touchdowns in this game, three long touchdowns because the Steelers just wouldn't adjust. Um, they wouldn't adjust to the fact that Jalen Hurts likes to throw deep to his right. He prefers that over his left. Even though he did have a nice, nice uh, pass to the left late in the game when the game was out of reach, but uh, when the game was somewhat, I guess, a little bit in question, he's going to the right to AJ Brown, and there was just never an adjustment made. Uh, Akello Witherspoon had no shot, and if you didn't know he had no shot, AJ Brown reminded you he had no shot because after he scored on Akello Witherspoon, he told him, "You're too small." He gave him that symbol, and the moment of the game, maybe even the moment of the season. 
is the third touchdown AJ Brown caught when Minka Fitzpatrick came over and tried to hit him. And <laughs> it was like watching somebody literally try to hit a brick wall. And AJ Brown is just standing there with two guys on the ground and points to both of them as if to say, You're trash and you're trash. And you know it's bad when you can sit there and point at guys. Take your time to point at each one individually. No, I'm not going to point at you at the same time. You and you. You both stink. And those guys just put their head down and walk away. Like, they, they, they accepted it. And weeks ago, Patrick blew the whistle on Micah Fitzpatrick for getting sunned on a Gabe Davis touchdown. This was far worse than anything Gabe Davis did to Micah Fitzpatrick. I mean, this was just complete disrespect. But it was like humorous disrespect. And I didn't even get into the fact that Philadelphia was doing orchestrated team dances in the end zone for 10 minutes after every touchdown. I mean, just from the jump. I don't know what the Steelers did to piss them off, but they shouldn't have done it. because <laughs> This was just ugly, but it was humorous at the same time. Uh, congratulations to Patrick's guy, Jalen Hurts. This was his first career game with four touchdown passes. Again, three to A.J. Brown. That helps a lot. But uh, Jalen Hurts had a field day picking apart a defense that showed less and less resistance as the game went on. Uh, the defense continues to force turnovers. And so, you know, I talked about that a couple weeks ago with the Eagles. They are dominating the league in terms of turnover differential. The best team are protecting the football. The best team are taking away the football. When you have that combination, you get games like this. Now, again, the, the NFL is not full of blowouts, but when blowouts happen in the NFL, it's usually because the turnover margin looks the way it looked in this game. Now, I do have a problem with uh, Kenny Pick, and I'm not even trying to say that the message is wrong necessarily, but it's the wrong messenger. So Kenny Pickett after this game comes out publicly and, and says the Steelers need to study more as a group. Now, you are a rookie quarterback, and you may be excited because, oh, you're the Pittsburgh guy and everybody loves you, and you heard so much great things about yourself when you came into Pittsburgh, and you were supposed to be the most NFL-ready quarterback in this draft class. It don't look like it. It looks like this draft class just had nobody that was ready for the NFL, and that's a possibility. But Kenny Pickett, you've thrown two touchdowns and eight interceptions this year. If, if you're doing that with good study habits, what would you look like with bad study habits? Kenny Pickett, you've appeared in five games this year. You have multiple turnovers in three of those five games. Based on your performance, and oh, by the way, the one win you did get was the game you got knocked out of and Trubisky had to come in and win the game. Who are you to come in and publicly talk about what your teammates need to do. It's one thing you say that behind the scenes, but for you to come out publicly as if you got Ben Roethlisberger clout within that organization, to come out before Mike Tomlin comes out and say these guys need to study more, check yourself. Check yourself. Until you throw as many touchdowns as you've thrown interceptions, I don't want to hear it from you, what the teammates need to do. And I'm not sitting here trying to say it's all Kenny Pickett's fault, but when you want to come out with your mouth like that. Now imagine, imagine if Russell Wilson came out and said the same thing, how y'all would respond. Y'all know it. 
who in the hell is Kenny Pickett to come out and talk about what his teammates need to do? I had a major problem with that. This, this that's like beyond blow the whistle for me. You need to sit down and be humble. You got two weeks as the Steelers, thankfully, mercifully, have a bye week coming out. You got two weeks to figure out how to throw the football to the right team. If the Steelers don't have anything else, they got quality receivers. Find a way to get the ball to them. Then maybe talk about what somebody else isn't or is doing. But I don't want to hear it from you as far as holding your teammates accountable until you show me that you're an NFL caliber quarterback. Because right now, it ain't looking too good. And it's early. It's early. I'm not telling you that Kenny Pickett's a bust. You know, five games into his career. But I'm telling you that right now is a good time to, to be real, real quiet. Can you pick it? Yeah, it would definitely send a message if Mike Tomlin benched him coming out of the bye week for Trubisky. Like, that would just be like, I know it's not going to happen. Like, there's no turning back now. But it would be hilarious just to send that message like, all right, watch yourself, rookie. Like, you're not, like you said, if he maybe had 14 touchdowns and three interceptions or something and they kept losing... You're not out here. You're not out here putting up numbers, dude. Like, just just calm down and just just play just play your role. All right. Next game we're going to talk about, and honestly, we're not going to talk too much about this game. Just just keeping it real. The Tennessee Titans pick up a seventeen to ten win over the Houston Texans, and uh, more and more by the week, it started to look like Tennessee might once again find a way to win what is once again just a pathetic pathetic division. And uh, as far as the analysis of this game goes, the analysis is this simple. Like I've, I've given y'all crazy stats and this and that. The analysis of this game is Derrick Henry. That, that's your analysis, Derrick Henry. Okay, I'll, I'll give you more than that because I'm supposed to do it. Derrick, Derrick Henry started this game off with a 41-yard run. It was like from the get-go, Derrick Henry was telling you, you bums don't stand a chance as long as I'm on the field. It doesn't matter. What what else is going on on offense? It doesn't even matter if we don't have a quarterback. We don't even need a passing game. As long as they got me, it doesn't matter. Derrick Henry ran for 219 yards in this game and two touchdowns. It's the fourth time in Derrick Henry's career that he's run for 200 yards and two touchdowns against the Texans. To put that in perspective, nobody else in NFL history has four games of 200 rushing yards and two touchdowns in their careers. Derrick Henry has dominated the Texans. And by the way, those are four consecutive games against the Texans where he has 200 yards and two touchdowns. Again, nobody else in history has 200 yards rushing and two touchdowns three times, more than three times in their entire careers. In other words, we've never seen a player dominate a team the way Derrick Henry has dominated the Houston Texans. Now, with that said, every week I come on here and talk about Derrick Henry's workload because I'm genuinely concerned. And Patrick and I have both talked about the fact that Derrick Henry does not have any money owed to him next year, so the Titans couldn't care less. This was a game where the the Houston Texans don't have an offense at this point. And it, it, it's a shame because Damian Pierce is having a strong rookie season. He's doing all he can, but he can only do but so much as a rookie running back. This offense is pathetic. This offense is, is worse than the Raiders offense. Somebody, somebody's got to be worse than the Raiders offense. This offense stinks. If you're the Titans, even with Malik Willis at quarterback, and who you've completely, you completely hit Malik Willis in this game. 
this was a game where you something in you had to say, you know what? Maybe this is the week we don't give the ball to Derrick Henry 33 times. Maybe we should be able to beat a one-win team with Derrick Henry touching the ball no 20 times. Why does Derrick Henry need 32 runs and a catch in this game? When is this man going to get a break? And, and I, I know Derrick Henry looks indestructible, but he did get hurt last year. And again, I, I'm not one to sit here and try to predict injuries. I'm not in that business. But I don't like the idea of all this mileage being put on Derrick Henry each and every week. Dontrell Hilliard in this game, who's not really known as a runner. He's really their receiving back. He had 83 yards on eight carries. Why not let this be the game where Dontrell Hilliard gets 15 to 20 carries? Again, this is, this is Houston. They're not going to score more than 10. Give Derrick Henry a little bit of a break. I just, I, just I, I don't like that. I don't like that. At some point, not even Derrick Henry, again, as indestructible as he might look, at some point, there has to be diminishing returns if you're going to keep running the band 30-plus times each and every week. That's the one thing I wanted to say about this game. I don't have anything to say about Houston other than Brandon Cooks, I know, has to be hoping with everything he's got that he gets traded before the trade deadline. Uh, other than that, it's, it's, just a, it's just a shame. This Texans defense... Uh, they they knew what was coming and couldn't stop, <laughs> and and that's that's most things when you face Derrick Henry. But it's it's it was extra with the Texans. They they just had no chance from the jump, and you know this this was the most demoralizing way to get beat seventeen to ten. The score doesn't look bad, but this was a punishing dominant game for Tennessee, even with a completely one dimensional offense. Uh, Tennessee's got Kansas City next week, so. You might have to throw the ball in that game just a little bit. I don't think you're going to hold the Chiefs to 10 points. But, uh, yeah, and as for Houston, you got Philly on Thursday. Uh, good, good luck to you. Yeah, my analysis of this game is going to be real short and sweet. Um, Houston's a bad team. Tennessee's not a good team, but they were a better team than this bad team because they have Derrick Henry. Uh, I agree with everything Julius said. I don't like the amount of carries he got in this game. Uh, I was also going to bring up Hilliard. Eight carries, 83, 84 yards, something like that. 10.3, 10.4 yards per carry, which means you're averaging a first down every time he touches the ball. Give this man more work. You ran for 314 yards. Derrick Henry only had 219 of that. That means you almost got 100 more yards from Malik Willis and Hilliard. Just run the ball with someone else. Um... Again, though, they don't care. They don't have this man on, under contract next year. So if he's going to get us into the playoffs and if he's going to get us another division crown so we can sell false hope to our fan base, that's what they're going to do. Because let's be honest, whoever comes out of the AFC South is bouncing out first round of the playoffs. I don't care who they play. I don't care <laughs> what happens. They're, I don't I don't know how Tennessee's won five in a row, but they have. Uh, I think that comes to an end next week because they have the Chiefs. Um Regardless of who starts, Tannehill or Willis, uh, the one thing I will say about Tennessee's coaching staff, I am a little disappointed in you. Uh, if you were going to let Malik Willis try to run the offense at any point in time, I feel like this is the game that you kind of let it loose since you are playing Houston. I know it's a division game. I know you're on the road. I know it's a hostile environment, but I feel like that's the perfect time to experiment and let him 
hear the loud third downs. So he has to try to make adjustments at the line. X, Y, and Z. Um, you know, if the game did start to feel like it was getting out of reach or something, which it never did, um, then go back to Derrick Henry. But they didn't even try to let him run this offense. Like, it was... I'm a little upset about that. Like, you drafted this guy, and I know you weren't expecting him to play this year because you have Tannehill, but don't just have him be a glorified, you know, handoff. Like, it, I don't know. That just, it just doesn't sit well with me. Um, if you think he's good enough to draft and play in the NFL, that's what you're saying. When you draft someone, you're saying, we think you're good enough to play in the NFL. This was the game to let him work out all those rookie mistakes, or if you don't think he's NFL ready, this is the game that he's not going up against the scout team defense. He's not going up against, you know, practice defense. This is this was the game to do it, in my opinion. Uh, so a little disappointed with that. Um, Houston is just bad. Um, I, Brandon Cooks would be a good addition to the Ravens. I, I, I wish the Ravens would make that trade. Uh, Brandon Cooks, no matter where he's gone, even at Houston, was getting a thousand yards receiving every year. That's not going to happen this year, but um, I, I hope he gets traded to to somebody where he can make a difference for a team. Other than that, um, at this point in Houston, they're just getting all the young guys some reps. So you're going to see a lot of young guys, uh, even if there are people like Brandon Cooks on the team. Like as soon as Neil Collins comes back from being hurt, Brandon Cooks is going back on the bench. Like it's it's now time to let. Rookies, second year, third year players, guys who might be under contract years, they're all going to start getting into the game to see where this organization is going moving forward. Next game on the docket is the Washington Commanders at the Indianapolis Colts in a game that Washington somehow pulls out. I don't understand how. I will never understand how they won this game. I mean, I do, but you get the point I'm trying to make. Uh, Scary Terry, uh, so this is what I guess Russell Wilson wanted to see happen when he was throwing it at Stephon Gilmore in that one Thursday night game that we were talking about because Terry McLaurin went up, snatched the ball out of his hands, very reminiscent of Gabriel Davis, Mingo Fitzpatrick, except for those guys were on the ground. This was a jump ball in the air that he just said, I'm not losing this ball. And now Terry McLaurin is undefeated in Lucas Oil Field Stadium. So uh, shout out to Terry McLaurin, 5-0 and in his career. Two high school championships, two Big Ten championships, now a regular season game with the Commanders. There's my fun stat for the day, Julius. Um, <laughs> but in a game that the Commanders had no business winning, they won. Um, they've won every game that Heineke has started this year. Um, against all odds, but it's happening. Um, I still don't think Heineke is a starting quarterback in this in this in in the league. I just don't. Um, Commanders fans will would yell and scream and tell you differently, uh, but I feel like I have a big enough sample size, um, and the fact that he pretty much just threw that one up to Terry McLaurin and said, "Please be better than Stephon Gilmore," which he was on that play. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much what he did. He underthrew him. He actually underthrew that ball. Terry had him beat. Um, you can say that about a lot of quarterbacks, but that's in this situation. And then just weird things happening, like Michael Pittman dropping a wide open you know, crossing route that would have got them in a field goal range or close to field goal range at the end of that game. They're just, Heineke just finds ways to win. Like, if that was Wentz starting or if that was Baker Mayfield starting or Sam Darnold, like, the things that are happening are not happening for for, for them. But I'll let Julius talk more on that. Um, Jonathan Taylor got bottled up in this game. Uh, 
the offense didn't look better without Matt Ryan than it did with Matt Ryan. Um, still had turnover issues. Only put up 16 points. Jonathan Taylor still only ran for less than 100 yards. So uh, it wasn't like this team looked any better. Again, Frank Wright is definitely on his way out. Unless this team somehow miraculously turns this around and wins the division. But oh wait, you've tied the Texans and you've already lost twice to the Titans. So, and you lost once to the Jags. So you are 1-3-1 and one in your division already. Good luck winning any types. Good, good luck winning any types of tiebreakers. Indianapolis Colts, uh, Commanders, shockingly, are still in a playoff hunt somehow uh, because the NFC is that bad. I don't think that's going to last. They're not going to keep winning these one point games. Um, but I think that there's two coaches that are going to be not coaching for these franchises next year. You happen to not know that Terry McLaurin is an Indianapolis guy. If you're watching the broadcast, you know. I mean, they, they only mentioned it about every three minutes. I mean, they, oh, we get it. The man's from Indianapolis. We get it. The man's, you know, won championships in, in high school and all that at Lucas Oil Field. We get it. He was attending Colts games as a little kid in the 500 section. Why do we even know all this? <laughs> okay, say it once, move on. <laughs> but even if you didn't know and you couldn't hear the commentators, Terry McLaurin himself was telling you, this is my city. This is what I do here. After he went up and uh, gave you that Marcian type of effort over Stephon Gilmore. And yeah, you mentioned uh, Russell Wilson. And yeah, it makes sense to try Stephon Gilmore with Terry McLaurin, not with Tyree Cleveland. <laughs> you know, you got to know your personnel as well. Tyree Cleveland ain't beating Stephon Gilmore. Uh, Terry McLaurin, he has, at least has a shot. And by the way, that was on an underthrown ball. Watch the replay. That was an adjustment on a route by McLaurin. He kind of improvised on that one. He had Stephon Gilmore beat easily. Yeah, Gilmore bit, stepped in. Gilmore was beat bad over the top. The only reason that was a jump ball is because it was an underthrown ball by Taylor Heineke. But it's the kind of thing that Taylor Heineke gets away with each and every week. You go back to last week against the Packers. Heineke literally just threw a ball to a spot on the sideline. He threw it with his eyes closed. Not exaggerating. Literally threw it with his eyes closed to a spot. And Terry McLaurin just went and got it. Just, just beat Jair Alexander to the ball. Uh, Terry McLaurin turns up. He goes to another level when, when Taylor Heineke's in the game. And then, you know, we talk about certain quarterbacks and do the teammates like him and this and that. Do the Broncos players like Russell Wilson? Do they not like him? Do the Panthers players like Baker Mayfield? Do they not like him? There's no question that the Commanders players at least like Taylor Heineke because the, the effort they put out, to clean up his mess on a routine basis. And, and again, I, I don't know what it is, but I, I was talking about this with Jimmy Garoppolo as, as well, that there's just some guys that it's like, okay, when he's in the game, all of a sudden, all of us are going to make sure to cover up for all of his sins. And that's what that's what the commanders do. Uh, Taylor Heineke did not play well in this game. He didn't play well last week. But like you said, these weird things keep happening. Last week, uh, when that was an opportunity to put the game away, he had just thrown a pick six last week, Taylor Heineke, and then he fumbles and got a fumble six, and that gets called back from an illegal contact that had nothing to do with him fumbling the football. But it's just it's just those kind of breaks that Taylor Heineke seems to get on a regular basis. And so now in this game, you have Sam Ellinger, who literally fumbles without being touched. You have Jonathan Taylor, who is recklessly carrying the football in the wrong hand in the middle of the field, and he gets popped by Derek Forrest, playing the most important position in football, and he fumbles the ball away. 
Like, why do these things happen with Taylor Heineke out there? I don't know. But it happens on a regular basis. So when Washington scores 17 points with Taylor Heineke, it sure feels a lot different than when the Jets score 17 points with Zach Wilson. It's just amazing the difference in the luck involved to get similar type of results. But um, you know, the one thing I will give uh, Washington credit for and one thing I will give Taylor Heineke, uh, Heineke a little credit for is the commanders were able to win this game without being able to run the football at all. I right, talk about Jonathan Taylor not necessarily having a signature day on the ground. Taylor Heineke actually led the team in rushing. All right, he was actually tied not with a running back, but with Curtis Samuel, who's kind of sort of, I guess, a little bit of a running back. But nobody for the Commanders ran for more than thirty yards. And to win a game where none of your players can get thirty yards rushing, and again the quarterback is leading the way with twenty-nine, uh, and that does speak to a little bit of playmaking ability from Taylor Heineke. So you, you get. Some of that you get some of that, but you get all this code words with Taylor Heineke. He's just he's just a gamer, and you know you get those kind of words where you have where you don't understand why it's happening, why these results are positive. Like I said, there's no logic behind it. It's just just happening. But uh, as as long as the case, you just keep riding the wave if you're the Commanders, because uh, sometimes it is just better to be lucky than good. As for the Colts. This type of performance, and again, I don't want to give up on a guy, you know, one game in. But we are talking about a six-round pick when we talk about Sam Ellinger. This type of game is why I just would have never come out and made the declaration that Ellinger is the guy for the rest of the year, no matter what. You know, I wouldn't have come out and made the declaration. And I said last week I had a problem with them throwing Matt Ryan under the bus, even though he played horribly. I had a problem with them throwing him under the bus and acting like, all of it was on him because now you can't turn back. Okay. And there is nothing we've seen yet to suggest it's going to get better for Sam Ellinger. The one thing Ellinger is supposed to be good at is running the ball. But they talked about it during the, the broadcast that Ellinger lost all this weight. To me, he needs it because he's not a big speed runner. He's a guy that ran with power. And that's how he was in college. That's how he was successful. That's the best thing he did as a quarterback in college. Now you don't have that much power because you lost 20 pounds. And you go out there and you get outrushed by Taylor Heineke. You're not going to throw better than anybody. You're not showing that. Almost all of the passes were, were short throws in this game. He looked clues out there. Again, he found a fumble in this game with a play where he was not touched. I, I don't see the upside that I was hoping to see with Sam Ellinger. And this whole Sam Ellinger is going to be the spark to unlock our offense is not off to a promising start. And again, I don't want to throw him away after one start, but I, again, this is my concern when I see the Colts come out and say, he's our guy no matter what. Because now you are stuck. If it doesn't get better than this, and we have no empirical evidence to suggest that it will get better. If it does not get better than this, you are stuck with this for the rest of the season. In a, divi in a division that you should have won Easily, as far as I'm concerned, considering the roster outside of the quarterback position, you are in a position now where you are scratching, clawing just to try to stay in the division race, and you got to do it with a guy that none of us has seen play good football in the NFL. All right, next game we'll get into is the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, the San Francisco 49ers doing what they do, turning into the best team in the history of football every time they see the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, this time they go out and they beat the Rams 
in the Rams house, which is it really the Rams house? So every time I look in there, the other team has more fans. But anyway, 49ers with a 31-14 win over the Rams. Uh, Christian McCaffrey is, is just the latest exhibit for me. I am a person, I, I say controversial things. I know they're controversial, but at the end of the day, I look at what actually happens. I look at evidence and I say, I'm going to make my conclusions based on what I see, not what I'm told. Christian McCaffrey is my latest example of why I always say systems are myths. Okay, a system is not something, you know, they talk all these complicated things, all these nuances in the system, all this language you got to learn and this and that. Why is it that Christian McCaffrey can come into this system and in a week and a half be the entire team on offense? <laughs> if systems are this complicated, this tough to learn and everything else, first of all, the man was able to contribute four days after he was traded. Okay, he looked at play, page one of the playbook and was able to have a decent game. Now he comes out of this game, and the 49ers got off to a slow start. You know, the final score wouldn't indicate that, but the 49ers got off to a slow start in this game. And it was almost as if Christian McCaffrey said, you know what, Jimmy, forget it. You can't throw. Let me do it. And the pass that Christian McCaffrey threw for a touchdown to Brandon Ayuk, probably the best pass that 49ers fans have seen in a few years. There has to be some 49ers fan out there that thinks, man, if Christian McCaffrey was the one throwing that deep pass in the Super Bowl, we might have beat Kansas City. Christian McCaffrey comes in and he has passing touchdown, rushing touchdown, receiving touchdown, just, just does it all. And on the receiving touchdown, by the way, that wasn't even a good throw from Jim. Christian McCaffrey went up and got that ball. So... Again, if, if it's so complicated to learn a new offense and this and that, how come this man can come in on the fly in the middle of the season and in a week and a half, no training camp, no preseason, no nothing, never played with none of these guys before, never has had Kyle Shanahan as a coach before, this guy's able to come in and not just integrate into the offense, but become the offense. He was the offense in this game. So, you know, shout out to Christian McCaffrey. That he, look, he looks good in that number 23, and he, he is the offense that quick. Um, I talked about the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo is now 8-0 against the Rams in his career. Uh, didn't have to do a whole lot this game, and a lot of those wins he hasn't had to do a whole lot just because it's just it's just dominant. And at this point, it's just mental. I mean, the Rams are not at a talent deficit here. You know, the Patriots have beaten the Jets 13 times in a row after Sunday. And you can say for the most part there's been a talent deficit there. Like the Patriots and Jets just haven't been on the same level for the last six, seven years. So you understand why the Patriots can win 13 in a row against the Jets. The Rams should have enough talent that out of the eight chances, you'd be able to beat the 49ers once. And they just can't do it. And in this game, Jalen Ramsey had a couple of opportunities in this game to make plays. He dropped a couple of interceptions. And when you see things like that, that's when you start to think this is more mental than anything else. Now, granted, Jalen Ramsey in general struggles to catch the football. He's, he's, a, a very good corner, and I know people like to kind of pick on him on the internet for a variety of reasons, but he's a very good corner. But catching the ball has never been his forte. He is, he is the anti-Trayvon Diggs when it comes to catching the football, but you got to find a way to catch one of these interceptions because your team needs something to believe that they can beat the 49ers. They, they, they came into the game looking like they don't believe. Even when they were up, you never got the feeling that they thought that they were going to win that game. you got to do something to, to turn that tide around 
And Jalen Ramsey had that opportunity a couple times, and he just missed it. And it was downhill from there. I am going to take time out to blow the whistle on Sean McVay. You know, I've never been a big Sean McVay fan. I've, I've said that before. I don't think he's terrible. I don't think he's on a level of a Nathaniel Hackett or somebody like that. But I've just always thought he was kind of overrated with what he does. And certainly his coaching tree looks pretty overrated wherever they go. But um, why is Cooper Cup in the game when you're down 17 with a minute left? Why are you still throwing him the ball when you're down 17 with a minute left? The same way Christian McCaffrey is the 49ers offense now, especially while Debo Samuel's out. Cooper Cup is your offense. You have a fake Cooper Cup in Bennett Skronik. Throw him the ball with a minute left. Is it that important to you, Rams, Stafford? Is it that important to you to pad your stats? Because there is literally no other reason to have Cooper Cup in the game, let alone be throwing him screen passes in traffic with a minute left to go, as if Cooper Cup can score a 17-point touchdown. This is the kind of stuff where I talk about when I say these, these stats are largely overrated for quarterbacks, passing yards overrated, because why are you doing that? There is no other reason to have Cooper Cup in the game, let alone be targeting him, except for you want to pass your stats. You don't care that you're going to lose 31-14, to 14, or you might get lucky and lose 31-21. to 21. You just want to pass stats. That means more to you than what the final score says. And you're willing to risk your best offensive weapon by far, including the quarterback. You're willing to risk your most important piece on offense for what? For another completion? To make your completion percentage go up two points? That's what matters to you the most? It's just disgusting to me. See, I'm blowing the whistle on that. I'm also torn on who to blow the whistle on with this one, but I want to blow the whistle on Allen Robinson for getting a taunting penalty when you're down 10. I, I, just, I just don't think there's an excuse to ever get a taunting penalty when you're down, unless it's like 3 nothing five minutes into the game or something like that. I, I just don't understand. What, what is there to cheer about? You just got a first down, and you lose again to a team that you can't beat. And especially if you're Allen Robinson, because you, you ain't even contribute to last year's championship. It ain't, like, it ain't like you can point and say, you know, I got the ring. You, you can't give the, the Clay Thompson response to Devin Booker. You got nothing to show, show on your resume, Allen Robinson. So why are you talking? Now, part of me also wants to throw uh, the blow the whistle on the referee because Allen Robinson didn't actually say anything. And there is a part of me that does want to see some trash talk in the game. But uh, I'm, I'm kind of kind of blowing the whistle on both there, but I'm leaning more towards throwing it on Allen Robinson or blowing it on Allen, blowing the whistle on Allen Robinson because I just I, 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 it's not a good look to get that penalty when you're losing and your team is looking bad. But, um, yeah, that's where I'm at with this game. 49ers look good, but they always do against the Rams. So we got to see what they look like coming out the bye. The Rams get the Buccaneers next week. I don't even know what to tell you that game's going to be like. You got two very much underachieving teams that both need that win, but both look broken in different ways. I can't call that game right now. Give me some time. <laughs> Once again, if it wasn't for Tart dropping that interception against Matthew Stafford, this team would have, like, 20 straight wins against the Rams. It's... It's just ridiculous, uh, the run that they're on. Um, Ayuk had another good game. I like Brandon Ayuk a lot. Um, with Debo being out, Christian McCaffrey kind of had to be that playmaker, that do-it-all type person because for some reason in all of Kyle Shanahan's offenses, there's always that one person that kind of does it all. Um, you know, it, it, it was Debo. 
and before that, you know, and when he was with Atlanta for a little bit, I mean, he had Matt Ryan and stuff, but Julio Jones kind of did that for him because um, he was just so good in Atlanta. Uh, but, yeah, Chris McCaffrey had a good game. Um, I like how they try to say that he's been studying the playbook uh, since he got on the plane to come to the team, and all he does is sit there and study the playbook, study the playbook. This is what we're talking about when we say coaching is overrated. If... Kyle Shanahan says, hey, Christian, go out there and throw the football. He still has to go out there and execute it and, and make a good pass. Hey, Christian, go run a sweep. Go run a halfback draw. Go run a halfback lead. Hey, do a halfback swing route into the end zone. Like, he still has to execute all these plays. Um, I'm a little, a little different. I think Julius, when he doesn't like a quarterback, just, just kind of hates on them a little bit harder. I think Jimmy actually made a good pass to... Um, Christian McCaffrey on that play just because McCaffrey ran out to the flat and just looked at him and then Garoppolo stepped up in the pocket away from the pressure and then made the throw while he was getting hit. Um, McCaffrey and and Garoppolo just backyard football that play because he wasn't supposed to run up the sideline. Kittle was sitting there in the end zone. Uh, McCaffrey made a hell of a catch though. That was a great catch for a running back. Um, but that play looked dead in the water. And then the next thing you know, you see Garoppolo stepping up in the pocket, looks over at McCaffrey. McCaffrey's just like, okay, I'll run a fly route. I'll run a fly route now after I just ran out into the flat for no reason and just sat here. Um, Because it was supposed to be like a fake bubble screen to him and go somewhere else. So that was just a broken play that turned into a touchdown somehow. But again, good players make things happen. And Christian McCaffrey is a great player when he's healthy. Um, And that was on full display on Sunday. Um, the Rams look terrible again. I know they had a little bit of a lead in this game that went away quickly. Um, Stafford did not look good at all. Um, Allen Robinson, what are you doing? You catch one touchdown last week and now you think you're the man. That taunting penalty was terrible. Um, you know, again, it wasn't even you catching a 62-yard bomb to tie the game with 12 seconds left after you dropped a fourth down catch. This was you getting a first down, being down by like 20. There is no reason for you to even get up and do a stupid first down with your hand. Who cares? What do you, just get hand the ball to the ref. Get back to that's the one time where I'm like, what are we doing? You're down by 20. I hate I hate when people are taunting, even on defense. I know you. I know you don't get many sacks. You know. Sometimes in the league, and it's hard to get sacks. But if you're down by 27 and you get a sack, I don't care. Why are you taunting? Get back to the huddle. You got a sack. Like get you get you've given up 27 points already. Like I'm just not a fan of that. Um, Allen Robinson doing that after catching a first down. Like come on, bro. Um, I'm blowing the whistle on the Rams organization and how they're handling Cam Akers. I read a report that said if they can't find a trade partner, they're going to bring him back on the team. What? <laughs> How are you going to bench someone for three weeks and then be like, all right, come back on the team? Because guess what? Daryl Henderson Jr. being your lead back is not working out for you either. Um, so I don't know if you just thought you could plug and play whoever you wanted. Um, I don't know what happened with Cam Akers and why y'all are dysfunctional now. But get it together. Because the way you're handling that situation is terrible. Also, I'm in full agreement with Julius. 
the way that why do they had Cooper Cup out there? Literally your entire offense. You've seen him be your entire offense. You know Matthew Stafford only looks for him. This man tried to say he was better than Calvin Johnson. Which, again, Cooper Cup is a different receiver than Calvin Johnson. They both have put up insane stats in their careers. I don't know if I would say I would rather have Cooper Cup than Calvin Johnson, though. I guess it would depend on the situation of what we're trying to do as a team. But most days I'm taking Calvin Johnson. So let's just pump the brakes there, Matthew Stafford. Um, But, yeah, just the Rams are just going downhill fast. And I don't think Odell Beckham Jr. is going to save you, even if he does decide to re-sign with y'all. All right, moving on to our next game. Uh, I don't want to talk about it, but we will. New York at Seattle. Um, Seattle won 27-13. Another muffed punt, but I'm not even going to talk about that. But that, it was a 20-13 to game before that. <clears throat> Richie James Jr. muffs the punt, and Seattle goes down, gets a touchdown. The game was over at that point. Um, Geno Smith, for how good he's played, we actually kind of held the offense in check, but our offense also decided not to show up. Daniel Jones has a messed up hand. I don't know if that is really affecting his passing. He wasn't really doing much passing before the messed up hand. Um, but mm-hmm. when Saquon gets b- bottled up for less than 60 yards in this game, it's going to be a long day for the Giants. The Giants have to have Saquon go off and or Daniel Jones go off in the run game to make a difference. Uh, Daniel Jones actually made some really nice passes in this game. He actually was converting on a lot of third and longs, um, which you don't see a lot out of the Giants' offense, honestly. Um, but it just wasn't enough. You know, Seattle's a tough place to get W's. Um, and the defense finally broke down for the Giants. The de- the defense finally couldn't hold up their end of what's been happening for the first uh, seven weeks of the NFL season. Um, they got lucky that Tyler Lockett dropped a touchdown, which doesn't ever happen. Um, mm-hmm. because guess what? The very next offensive possession they had, they ran the exact same play. And Tyler Lockett catches the touchdown. How you let them run the exact same play in the safety and corner, let the exact same thing happen, but this time he catches it, is beyond me. But, um, yeah, this game wasn't a good game. Like, both teams did not look good. Um, again, Geno made some nice passes, and Tyler Lockett dropped one. He caught the other one. But um, Kenneth Walker had a... Had a nice little cutback run in this game, but again, it was more bad tackling than great running. Uh, some A run that he should have been a loss for one or two yards, he just was like, I'm going to run this way. And then Giants were just falling over themselves and falling off of his body. It's just like, tackle this, tackle the guy. Just tackle him on the ground. You have him. Just tackle But um, good win for Seattle. They're winning their division. Again, Atlanta, Seattle. <laughs> I guess if you're a bird team, you got you got luck because you got Philly winning their division, you got Seattle winning theirs, you got Atlanta winning theirs. Um, just insane. Um, but uh, Ravens winning theirs. Look at that, the bird teams. The bird teams are going nuts. Um, but uh, yeah, besides the Cardinals, they're they're not winning their division. But uh, anyway, so. Uh, no, no. Uh, yeah, this was not a good game for the Giants, but again, this is the team that I thought they were going to be coming into the season, so to, to lose to Seattle wasn't a surprise to me. I know there's a lot of NFC East, a.k.a. Cowboy fans, who are like, these are the real Giants, blah, blah, blah. We got the same record. Calm down. 
But everyone expected the Cowboys to be good. No one expected the Giants to be here. So, you know, I can't be too mad about this loss. The team just looked how I thought they'd been looked the entire season. You know, part of me is still processing the whole idea that this, in, in a week where you had the Ravens go against the Buccaneers, in a week where you had the 49ers go against the Rams, in a week where you had the Bills go against the Packers, this game was the only game that featured two teams coming in with winning records. I mean, that that's that's something I'm still kind of processing at this point. But, um, yeah, this game just highlighted the lack of a margin of error the Giants have. And that's not to say that the Giants aren't a good team. Uh, I, I don't think you can fluke your way to 6-1, and one, even though people would say in recent years, you've talked about Arizona getting off to kind of a flukish 8-0 kind of start or uh, a couple of years ago, Pittsburgh getting off to what most would consider a flukish 11-0 start. I, I still feel like there's something to it if you win that many games in a row. I've talked about a good teams find ways to win, bad teams find ways to lose. The Giants have found a way to be 6-1 and one going into this game, but they've done it with a slight margin of error. And so you, you talked about the situation with Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley in this game has his lowest rushing total of the season and his lowest receiving total of the season. And when you can stop him, and this was stopping him, this wasn't even slowing him down, this was stopping him, then you're going to hold the Giants for 13 points because there, there's nothing else for this team to turn to. Uh, the receivers that they invested in are just no longer there. <laughs> Kenny Galladay's there, I guess, in spirit, but that's about it. And I don't even want to say that. Darius Tony is literally gone. Those, those are the guys that you invested in. You didn't invest in David Sills the fifth. You didn't invest in Darius Slate, even though Slate, Slate's a nice player, but you, you didn't really invest in him. You didn't invest in high pick, you know, you didn't give him any type of extension. So the receivers you invested in are, are gone. You know, I talked last week about the loss of Daniel Bellinger, that like in an offense where they are starving for playmakers. They've been waiting all year to try to get Wandale Robinson right to get him in, incorporated into the offense. You lose Bellinger for some teams. There, there's some teams, if it's a team like Buffalo and you lose Daniel Bellinger, okay, whatever. We got five other guys that can make plays. If you're the Giants, you can't afford to lose that kind of play. So it's just, just tough for this team. And you talked about Richie James and the fumbled punt. That was the second time in the game Richie James lost a punt. Like, again, we, we've talked about these fumbled punts going around the league. He lost two. Got knocked out of the game on the second fumble. I thought it was benched. I would have benched him. And maybe he was benched, but they, they say that he had a concussion, so I'll take their word for it. But you look around the league at the teams that lost games, there's this correlation. You, you said it. Special teams costing teams games. Okay, Tampa Bay muffs a punt. They end up losing. Arizona muffs a punt. They end up losing. We talked about Carolina with the missed kicks. You end up losing. You know, it's, it's fun to talk about offense and defense and act like it's just a two-phase game, but that third phase of special teams is, is crucial. And again, for the Giants, a team where the offense, if it's not a Saquon Barkley 60-yard run, this offense is difficult to come by with this team. They don't have the margin of error to be giving up possessions where they don't even get to touch the ball because their returner is messing things up. So that, for me, was the difference in the game. Uh, you talked about Tyler Lockett and the drop touchdown in this game. 
Lockett also had a bad fumble. It's just completely stripped by Dory Jackson near his own end zone. That's the only reason the Giants even scored a touchdown in this game because they were given a two-yard field to work with. This was a rough, rough game for Tyler Lockett. And I'll take a second to give Dory Jackson some credit. Dory Jackson, for those of you who don't know, is a very undersized defensive back. But he has played some physical football this year, certainly for somebody his size. And to see him come up with that strip on Lockett, and not that Lockett's the biggest receiver in the world, but to see Adore Jackson come with that type of aggression and that physicality, that was good to see out of somebody who, again, is a slightly built kind of guy. But, yeah, it would be understandable if a quarterback said, you know what, I'm going to turn elsewhere. He's dropping touchdowns, he's turning the ball over to set them up for easy touchdowns. Let's just find somebody else to work with. But Geno showed some, some leadership in this game, and, and leadership is – oftentimes an overblown thing, especially in the quarterback position. They just feel like if the offense plays well, then the leadership must be good. But no, Gino showed some real leadership on the sidelines. He, he didn't do a whole lot of showboating and getting loud or anything or to do anything too demonstrative, but he made it clear that he was sticking by Tyler Lockett and his actions followed what he was doing and saying on the sidelines, but he continued to go back to Lockett and eventually it paid off. Now, we know Tyler Lockett is not one of these guys. So he, he runs hot and cold as far as his production goes. But Tyler Lockett has never been a guy to be loose with the football, to been a guy to drop a lot of passes. So just an uncharacteristic bad day for him. But even in that moment, in a game that was still competitive up until that last Lockett touchdown, Geno Smith having that uh, mentality to continue to stick with Lockett, I got to give him a lot of credit. And when you watch Lockett in that press conference, and some people will say he was kind of throwing shade at Russell Wilson, I don't know. But what I do know is that uh, Tyler Lockett looked in that press conference like somebody who was grateful that their quarterback stuck with him and kept believing in him, even when he was having maybe the worst game of his career with the mistakes he was making. So I got to give Geno Smith that credit. The play that Geno Smith has had this season speaks for itself as far as just how efficient he's been. But to take that step, as proving himself to be a leader and not just a guy who can throw a pretty football. Uh, that's a lot more than we ever thought we'd see Geno Smith contribute to a team. So I had to shout him out one more time for that. All right, and now we get to the Sunday night game. Buffalo Bills came away with a 27-17 win over the Green Bay Packers. This was another game where, you know, I talked about uh, early with A.J. Brown. I'm not sure what the Steelers did to get on his nerves or anything to make him come out the way he did, but he came out kind of in a, a silly, aggressive mode. What, what was up with, with Stephon Diggs and the Packers? I, just, I mean, I understand that they have a rivalry that dates back to, to when Diggs was in Minnesota, but I mean, it was, it was just weird. The energy literally from before the game when they were coming out of the tunnel together, Stephon Diggs is in Jair Alexander's face, and I, I guess – I, I, I must have missed something with them. And, and somebody will probably have some footage from three or four years ago that I just don't remember or recall right now. But, yeah, that that, that was a, a personal thing from the jump, but it just kept going and going. And, you know, even when Stephon Diggs scored his touchdown in the game and he got tackled way after him, he scored a touchdown, got up, and then got tackled. Stephon Diggs is normally one of these guys that has – one, he normally gives you a you know a genuine kind of dance or an Omarion kind of dance. Like Steph, Stephon Diggs is going to have all kinds of fun when he scores. When he scored that touchdown, he looked like he wanted to knock Rasul Douglas out. And so it, it was just interesting to see 
kind of the mentality that Diggs had for the entire game. The only time he kind of chilled out some is when he apparently bit his tongue on, on catching a deep pass, and he was kind of having a little fun with that on the sidelines. And that's the least fun thing I can think about doing, doing on the field is biting my own tongue. But uh, other than that, it, it was just – it was just an angry Stefan Diggs. <laughs> and I just, I just wasn't used to, to seeing that version of him. So I don't know what was going on with that. But um, even though that was kind of out of character for him, the game he had was well within his character. Another productive, dominant game for Stefan Diggs. Uh, the Bills seemed to do whatever they wanted to do in the first half of this game. Uh, they made their statement in this game well before halftime. But I was still concerned just, just how much they let their foot off the gas in the second half. I mean, I just don't know what that was about. It was like Josh Allen, oh, it's like he took the second half off. Like, all right, we did what we had to do. Now I'm going to just, like, take dares or something. Like, oh, I bet you won't throw this pass. Oh, watch me. That, that, that's kind of how I felt in the second half. The Packers weren't making any spectacular plays, but Allen was just making silly mistakes in the second half. The accuracy wasn't there at all. When you look at the overall totals for his numbers, uh, they, they just weren't impressive from the game because essentially – Again, his stats basically were only good for a half. So uh, I'd like to see Josh Allen get back to putting his foot on the neck. But that's something that, again, was uncharacteristic. And I don't know if that feud or whatever was going on during the game played into that. So I'm not concerned about the Bills in the long term for that. But it was a little weird to see uh, the Bills be a team to let their foot off the gas. Uh, as far as the Packers go, even though they ended up losing this game, this is a game that, is, especially with the way the first half was looking, and even going into the game, you just felt like this game could become a disaster with the way the Packers have been playing the last few weeks, especially fresh off a loss to the Commanders, a game that you shouldn't have lost in the Taylor Heineke. You're like, okay, Buffalo could destroy these guys. And the one thing I kept saying for weeks, and we talked about this, we talked about this at, at nauseum with this team, run the football. In this game, Green Bay ran the football. They stuck with the run in this game. They ran for over 200 yards as a team. They gave Aaron Jones 20 carries for the first time all season. The offense looked good when they did that. Now, granted, they don't have the big explosive plays that are consistent. They got the one big-time catch from Romeo Dobbs, but there's nothing sustainable with what they're doing with the passing attack. So it's still a lot of work that has to be done with Green Bay's offense. But it was nice to see for the first time them stick with the run. And as a result, this game that could have easily been a blowout turned out to be at least a semi-competitive game. And I will say this, Green Bay is just not good enough to beat Buffalo in Buffalo, regardless of what kind of game plan they bring to the table. Green Bay can't beat Buffalo without Buffalo's help. However, if Green Bay continues to play like this, moving forward, Green Bay gets Detroit next week. If Green Bay plays the way they played in the second half of this game, they take that game to Detroit, Green Bay will win that game and win it relatively easily. They just need to stick with the formula that works best for them. And that formula is a little less Aaron Rodgers, especially with receivers he still doesn't trust fully. He gives them chances here and there. He gave Samori Torre a chance and got a touchdown out of it. So maybe you'll see more of him moving forward. But as long as that trust is still being under construction, this is the formula for the Packers to be successful. Run the football like you did in this game. The last thing I'll say is I'm tracking the status of Jordan Poyer. He left this game with an elbow injury. Don't know how severe it is at this point. Uh, the Bills have already lost Micah Hyde. Micah Hyde is a heck of a safety. 
Jordan Poyer is a very good safety in his own right. And I don't care how stacked your team is as far as your roster goes. You lose two quality safeties, most important position in football. I'm starting to get a little concerned. I'm not saying it's code red yet, but it's code yellow or orange or something like that if it turns out that they lose both Micah Hyde and Jordan Poirier before we get to the halfway point of the season. So that's just something to keep an eye on with the Bills. Yeah, this game was definitely out of uh, character for Stephon Diggs. Um, he was real fired up before the game, um, dropped 108 on them, and I guess said goodnight to that team because no one was stopping him. Um, Russell Douglas tried after a touchdown. I can't believe he wasn't flagged on that. I've never seen anyone catch a touchdown, roll on the ground, get up, and then the defender was allowed to throw him back on the ground. It, it made no sense. I would also have tried to fight someone if that happened to me. Um, I love that Devin Singletary was getting carries this game. Uh, like, not in garbage time. I like that he was actually setting a tone for that offense at the beginning of the game. I don't know if that was just to keep the ball out of Aaron Rodgers' hands or, or what Buffalo was trying to do because it wasn't the normal game plan that they do, but I, I loved seeing them trying to establish the run and Singletary definitely rewarded them for it because he had some really nice runs uh, Sunday night. Um, Tredavious White is coming back for the Bills, and that's a huge get back for that secondary, especially with the injuries at safety. So getting a... Uh, well, pre-injury shutdown cornerback or a really good cornerback for in the league is is you know very valuable for this defense. Mm-hmm. Um, I am going to blow the whistle on the Green Bay's defense. It makes no sense to me when you're still chirping and you were down twenty-seven to three, twenty-seven to ten. What you're not shutting anyone down? Yeah, you made a play. They didn't catch the ball. That's your job. Like I don't. If you were up twenty-seven to ten and you were shutting them down, then I'm all I'm all good for the trash talking. Like. How is Jair Alexander after the game going to say, I did what I was supposed to do. I think I, I think I won. I got the last word. How? You lost. <laughs> and Diggs got 108 yards. Now, granted, they said it wasn't on you, but you also weren't covering him. You only covered him three times. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, I, I don't understand. You lost the game. He got 108 yards and a touchdown. You covered him three times. Like, what, what are we talking about here? Um, Packers are definitely in a uh, can't Aaron Rodgers can't say relax because they have lost yeah. a lot of games in a row now, which is very uncharacteristic of the Packers. Um, and they are definitely in territory of missing out on the playoffs for the first time in a long time. Um, I don't think there's any way they win the division unless the Vikings have an epic collapse. Um, Again, Packers have lost many, many games in a row now. Vikings have won a lot of games in a row. And I, again, it would just have to be an epic collapse on Vikings for Green Bay to even have a shot at sniffing this division. I do like that Aaron Jones got 143 yards rushing. Um, I'm like that they didn't really go away from A.J. Dillon either. They were trying to let him get some carries as well, but obviously focusing on Aaron Jones. We've talked about Aaron Jones getting carries and Aaron Jones touching the ball, and he was doing that in the run game, in the pass game, and I and I liked seeing that. Um, I had no faith that Green Bay would win this game. I think the Bills are one of the best teams in the NFL, if not the best team in the NFL, uh, not only from their offensive standpoint, but their defense is super legit as well. So 
um, especially when they have those starting safeties that Julius was talking about, uh, Poyer and Hyde. Uh, this team is really well-rounded in all facets of the game, especially adding Von Miller. I know how everyone's making fun of them. They're, Von Miller's washed. Von Miller's not going to do this. Von Miller's not going to do that. Guess what? Even if he doesn't pan out for the next five years or whatever the contract is that they gave him with all that money, if he gets him a Super Bowl this year and he is playing at the level that he's playing at this year, it would be worth all the money that they gave him because he is terrorizing backfields right now. Um, even if he only plays at this level for two more years, it's it's worth it's worth the investment. He has turned this defense around, especially with the injuries in the secondary. This that you don't you don't even tell. No one's really getting burnt in the secondary because of the pressure that's getting applied by that front seven. Um, so yeah, I'm excited that Buffalo leaned on the run game a little bit more in this game. Um, excited that you know Stefan Diggs has a big game. Obviously, he a terp. Um, Packers have to figure out what's going on in that locker room. Uh, you can't have Aaron Rodgers crying every week. You can't have him coming out saying people need to stop getting less, start getting less playing time if they're not going to execute. Well, that's you, Aaron. Do you want less playing time? Are you saying you want less playing time? Because you're also not executing. It's not like you've made every throw accurate and on the money to your receivers. There's been a lot of underthrown balls, overthrown balls, ones that should have been back shoulder and weren't back shoulder. Ones that should have been leading them to the sideline and weren't. So you're not perfect out there either. So um, just interesting comments coming from Aaron Rodgers. Um, Julius was just talking about leadership, and I feel like that's one thing that no one has ever really said about Aaron Rodgers, which is weird for how great he is as a quarterback. I feel like you've never had anyone come out and been like, man, Aaron Rodgers' leadership is what led us to this victory today, right? It's, It's just more like... I don't know. I think you're starting to see um, more of like a entitled, like I know I'm good type attitude versus like let me try and make this team better. Um, which obviously he doesn't have the skill players anymore, and like a Devonte Adams on that team, so he just needs to keep throwing the ball and hope the guys make catches. Right? That's what that's what you have to do. And and every time there's a drop pass, you see him just hang his head and just have this dejected demeanor, and you're not going to win a lot of games in the NFL if you don't believe in your guys. They're going to stop believing in themselves, and that's just human nature. Like, if if someone expects you not to do it, it's probably not going to happen. And then Christian Watson gets hurt hurt again, so that guy can't stay healthy. Um, you know, it's just it's just bad, bad news bears right now uh, in Green Bay. Ha-ha. <laughs> Moving on to the Monday night game, Cincinnati at Cleveland. Cleveland completely dismantled Cincinnati. Cincinnati decided we're not going to score until the fourth quarter of this game. Uh, this is why I'm not a Joe Burrow fan. Um, not saying he's not a good quarterback. People always think when you say you don't like someone, you're calling them trash. Joe Burrow's trash. No, I'm joking. Um, I just this is the first game without Jamar Chase, and and it showed right. Um, again, scored zero points in quarters one, two, and three. Uh, and we're talking about the Cleveland Browns here, people. Miles um, Garrett and that front four were terrorizing Joe Burrow all night. Uh, Joe Burrow ha- had more turnovers tonight. I think he has eight on the season now. Um, Amari Cooper showed out because they were at home. So, you know, you could have seen that coming. Amari Cooper always plays good at home. Uh, Nick Chubb is that guy. If you guys don't realize that yet, and if you keep calling him a tier B or tier C running back in the NFL, 
No, let me tell you something. This guy's tier A. He might be the best running back in the NFL. So don't get it twisted. Nick Chubb is that dude. Um, Jacoby Brissett had some really good throws in this game. He had some really poor choices in this game. Uh, that's just going to happen from a guy who should be a backup, but he is starting. Um, but Cleveland came out and won 32-13, and this was a no-contest game. This game, there was they won it wire-to-wire. Wire. There was no doubt in this game of who was going to win this game. Um, so when Deshaun Watson gets back, this Cleveland offense could be real scary if they keep Kareem Hunt. I know Kareem Hunt has some trade rumors with him right now, which uh, the trade deadline's coming up, so we will have all these things put to bed by the next podcast. But, uh, you know, if Deshaun Watson comes back, and again, we've been saying this all year, if this team can stay right around 500, especially since the AFC does not have anyone who wants to win it right now, uh, besides Chiefs and Bills, there's really no one in the AFC that you're just like, I'm scared of this team. If they can stay around 500 and Deshaun Watson can play 70 or 80% of his MVP level that he was playing two years ago, uh, the Browns are going to be a scary team. They have weapons, uh, especially Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt, Amari Cooper at home. Um, yeah, but I this Bengals haven't beat the Browns in almost three years. They're 0-5 in their last five games. That's, you know... That means Joe Burrow has not beaten the Browns in his career, which is just it's it's insane to think about when people are already crowning him the next great quarterback, right? I know that talk has kind of down died down now that the season started and they're off of their Super Bowl loss, but um, you know that's all you heard during the playoffs last year at the beginning of the season. He's the is he on the Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes type level? No, he's not. He's not even close to that level of quarterback yet. Um, T. Higgins had a crazy catch in this game. Uh, an underthrown ball that he just jumped up and mossed and got a touchdown off of. Um, but this this offense for the Bengals, I'm worried because I already knew concerns about their defense, right? Because you let Cleveland score 32 on you. Um, but this offense without Jamar Chase looked terrible. Uh, besides a moss by T. Higgins touchdown and a touchdown to Tyler Boyd, this team did not get anything going. Joe Mixon didn't get anything going once again, which I've been raising concerns about him for multiple weeks. Um, the line was not holding up for Joe Burrow tonight. And again, I, I know they got Clowney and Miles Garrett, and that's a tough front four to, to cover. But Joe Burrow without Jamar Chase was not getting the ball out fast. He was just sitting back there patting the ball. You're going to get a lot of sacks and a lot of fumble losses and a lot of things like that when you're not adjusting to your personnel around you. I uh, blame a lot of that on the coach. If you know they have Miles Garrett and Jadavion J- J- Clowney on the other side, you know what I'm calling? Three-step drops, quick throws. I'm not trying to do Jamar Chase get open for eight seconds because he's not out there. Um, but this game got out of hand quickly for Cincinnati and uh, definitely was a blowout that I was not expecting tonight. Well, you know, this is part of the part of the game. And just part of what makes it so difficult to try to do season-long predictions before the season starts. Of course, I, I picked Cincinnati to win the division this year. But I banked that on Jamar Chase way more than I banked that on Joe Burrow or any other singular player on the Bengals. And if you had told me 
not even halfway through the season, that Chase was going to have a hip injury, miss at least a month. And I, you know, I'm not a fan of hearing hip injury and, and you know, recovery in the, within the same season. If you had told me that this was going to happen before the season started, I would not have picked Cincinnati to win this division. That, that is how critical I feel Jamar Chase is to this team's success. Let's not forget, in college and in the pros, we've seen Joe Burrow with and without Jamar Chase. It's just not the same guy. Okay, Joe Burrow at Ohio State without Jamar Chase couldn't beat out Dwayne Haskins Jr. Say what you want about that. That's just what happened. Joe Burrow's breakout year happened with Jamar Chase in college and even in the NFL. Yeah, it was his rookie season. He got to the league a year before Jamar Chase did. That year was not spectacular even before Joe Burrow got hurt. Looked like a completely different guy when he got Jamar Chase. Looked like a completely different guy this year. Looked like he was... The last few weeks looked like Joe Burrow was taking another step. Now, I'm not going to overreact to one game, but in the first game without Jamar Chase again, this guy looked like rookie Joe Burrow again before he got hurt. And so, yes, I, I'm concerned that I felt good last week. And yes, again, I know, I know it was against Atlanta last week, but you know, Atlanta's an up and down team that has found a way to beat four and four. That wasn't like that wasn't a win that you should apologize for. I am concerned. I was concerned going into this game. Okay, let's see what they look like without Jamar Chase. And the answer was pretty bad. Like you said, it took a miraculous catch from from T. Higgins, kind of going a step above Terry McLaurin because he, he lost the man and kept his feet. So to score the touchdown, the touchdown pass to Tyler Boyd was off a deflection. You know, these, these are, this is, again, I talked about sustainable offense early. It's not sustainable offense to rely on T. Higgins to go up and make that catch. It's not sustainable offense to rely on tipped passes to be caught for touchdowns and not intercepts. Uh, Joe Burrow's got to be getting back to being better about protecting the football. When the, the Bengals went on a nice streak recently, he was protecting the football. Tonight, he was loose with the football again. The Browns made a couple plays defensively, so I'll give them credit where it's due. But, you know, th th this is just not good. And the fallback, for whatever reason, with Joe Burrow is always going to be every time he does bad. I haven't heard about the Bengals' offensive line for a month. All of a sudden now, oh, there, here goes that offensive line. That same offensive line was just fine a week ago. Just fine the last few weeks. I haven't heard about them since basically September. Now all of a sudden it's their fault again. That that that's what you're going to hear. And I, I just I I get tired of that. And I'm not even somebody that dislikes Joe Burrow or anything like that. I just get tired of the excuses and the whining. Okay, I'm telling you right now, Denver's got a worse offensive line. I'm telling you right now, for the most part of this year, Baltimore's had a worse offensive line. I won't even get into Chicago's offensive line. There are much worse offensive lines than Cincinnati. Cincinnati is pretty middle of the pack. But again, because this Cincinnati offensive line isn't shutting down Aaron Donald, because it isn't shutting down T.J. Watt, because it's not shutting down Miles Garrett, that makes it not a good offensive line? Stop the nonsense. I do want to take a quick moment to give a shout-out to B.J. Hill. B.J. Hill got a blocked field goal in this game. Just, just got a shout-out my Wolfpack, brother. No matter what position you play, you're a Wolfpack, you family. Defensive line, special teams, 
We're going to find you. Amari Cooper had a real nice game in this game. Uh, I put Amari Cooper in that same category as uh, Tyler Lockett type. Just guys that one game to the next, you just never know what you're going to get out of them. Just run hot and cold. Again, not to say they, they have drop issues or anything like that, even though Cooper has had uh, some drop issues from time to time in the past. But they're just both the kind of guys, they might get you 150 yards, they might get you 20. That's, that's just how both those guys are. So Cooper was on the right side of that tonight, had one of his hot games. Uh, the one thing I will say about Amari Cooper, never throw the ball again. Like, I don't know who he convinced that he could throw the ball, but the interception he threw tonight was – yeah, it looked like a Zach Wilson interception. It was that bad. And then that, that's about as much of an insult as I can come up with for how bad that throw was for Cooper. So scrap that play from the playbook. It's okay. Not everybody can be Christian McCaffrey when it comes to throwing the football. That's all right. Not everybody can be Johnny Hecker on these trick plays when it comes to throwing the football. Some guys need to just run the ball or catch the ball and not throw. Cooper never throw the ball again. They said it was his first NFL pass. It should be his last. Uh, Nick Chubb, you talked about him. And, uh, and I said this earlier this season, and I'll continue to say it. When you, when you have that conversation about the best running backs in football, Nick Chubb needs to be in that conversation. This is this is no longer a guy that should be talked about like he's not in the elite class of running backs. And with his presence in the backfield, it shouldn't be forgotten that Kareem Hunt is a very good running back in his own right. This The way this game went tonight, Run the ball, efficient quarterback play, create turnovers. This is the Browns' formula for success. This is what they were hoping to do until they got Watson back. And maybe what they're hoping to do when they get Watson this year, because, again, by the time Watson gets back, it's going to be almost two years since he played. So this formula is something you might want to stick to. I don't think they should just get Watson in there all of a sudden think he's going to be throwing for 400 yards a game. That said... This formula is not necessarily designed to blow a team out. It is blown to, is, is a formula for kind of minimizing possessions, bleeding the clock, and finding a way to win with physicality in a tight game. You're not supposed to destroy somebody like Cincinnati with this. And so it's, it's, it's concerning. You talked about Cincinnati's record within the division, their record against the Browns. It's, it's, just, it's just not promising. None of it is. And like I said, if, if this is what they're going to look like without Jamar Chase, uh, the Bengals get the Panthers next week. And I'm, that, that's a game that I would say no doubt Cincinnati's going to win a couple weeks ago. Now I'm like, eh, eh, can, can, they, can they beat Carolina at home without Jamar Chase? Oh, I, I hope. <laughs> so that, that's, that's just wild to me. Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. But I, I will admit at this point for the first time, time all year like i feel really really concerned there's other times that i felt like yeah maybe i should should i pick cincinnati yeah yeah i should have picked cincinnati what am i talking about right now i'm like I, I didn't think jamar chase would be out but like i said that's that's the thing i i can't predict that at the end of october jamar chase is going to be out when we make these predictions in august and september that's the fun part of it but uh we'll see what they what they do how they respond uh, they are 0 for 1 right now with a big F when it comes to how their tests are going. And we'll see what they do against Carolina next week when I, in reference to the Bengals. So that wraps up our week eight analysis of the NFL. Moving on to what's happening in the sports world. Um, if you don't know, if you're living under the rock, the World Series started. Um, game three got postponed tonight. 
um, due to rain. And they're supposed to play Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, which is crazy that they're going to play three straight nights back-to-back. I'm excited about it because I like baseball, but it's just a weird condensed schedule now. Um, series is tied 1-1. Uh, Verlander once again had a terrible game one in the World Series. I don't know why. I don't know what happens in the World Series for him. It's just one of those weird things. It's kind of like Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs. Like You just don't know why. Like All regular season, they're dominant. Their ERA is like 1.8. They get to the playoffs, and they have a 5 or 6 ERA. It just, uh, it's just an interesting dynamic. That, and then Verlander, it's not like he's only pitched two games in the World Series, people. I just want to make sure you're aware of that. He's pitched for three different decades in the World Series, which is insane in itself. Shows you his dominance for a long time. Um, but also, it's not like this sample size is one. Uh, they said Madison Bumgarner could go in and throw 27 earned runs and still have a lower ERA in the World Series than Justin Verlander has. So, just certain people get into the big moments like this, and like Madison Bumgarner, his playoff ERA is insane. Insanely low. Uh, but then you have these guys like Clayton Kershaw, Justin Verlander, whose ERAs just, I'd, for whatever reason, you know, they're just their game. Just Max Scherzer is another one, right? Dominates in the regular season, gets into the postseason, and just kind of makes that one or two mistakes pitching, and it costs them. Um, but the series is tied one-one. Uh, Bryce Harper has done almost absolutely nothing in the World Series after having a crazy, crazy postseason up into the World Series. Uh, JT Romuto's uh, hit in the home run in the in the first game was insane because if y'all were watching that game, he got punished in the face off of a tipped ball. Um, if this was the NFL, that man would have been in concussion protocol. He is out of the game. He would not even have had a chance to hit that home run. Um, but he's a catcher. He's having a hell of a hell of a postseason as well for a catcher. And then Houston came out and showed why they were so dominant all year in game two. Uh, this is a really good series, a really fun series to watch. Um, I'm excited for it to start back up. Um, and moving over to the NBA, I just want to give a little shout-out to my guy, Kevin Herter. Uh, he got traded from the Hawks to uh, Sacramento in the offseason, and he's been balling ever since. He led the team tonight in scoring, and they got a W against Charlotte. Uh, he had 19 points in the second half. It was insane. He um, definitely led that team to the win. Um, NBA is kind of a lot of upsets early. Um, just a weird season to start. Again, we only have about a week or six games worth of a sample size right now, so there's not much to talk about in the NBA. I think I'm going to let it get a couple months in before I start giving analysis on the NBA. But, you know, just like to shout out my Terps, and Kevin Herter is uh, definitely balling for the Sacramento Kings right now. Uh, yeah, you pretty much made all the key points as far as the World Series. Of course, that's the. Uh... Most important thing going on in the world of sports right now, uh, one one series, uh, certainly an opportunity for the Astros to have taken a 2-0 lead in the series. But you, know, you said everything there is to be said about Justin Verlander. Like I said, just there's just sometimes where it's just more mental than anything else. I mean, that that's the only explanation I have. I talked about that with, with the 49ers and the Rams. It's like the Rams don't believe they can beat the 49ers in the regular season. The Jets don't believe they can beat the Patriots in the regular season. Justin Verlander doesn't believe he can have a quality start in the World Series even when given a 5 nothing lead and even when looking pretty sharp through three innings. 
It's, it's just just one of those things. Uh, that, that's the only way you can explain how a guy is that much different. I can see if he was kind of an averages or even a hot and cold type of starter. This, this guy's going to win the side Young this year and still cannot get it right in the World Series. Uh, it'd, be, it'd, be not, it'd be another thing if you knew you weren't going to get any run support. I, I can see you kind of kind of stressing and pressing at the bet on the pitching mound, trying to figure out, okay, I, I can't give up a run. I can't give up a run, but you have a five run lead. I, I, yeah. I, I, it's, it's amazing to see that. But like I said, the only, only thing I can think of is that it's completely mental with him. And, uh, you know, the good thing for Houston is they've got other arms and going back earlier in the postseason, even though Justin Verland has been the game one starter, uh, Dusty Baker has said before it would be the, the guy who's been starting the game twos, Farmer Valdez. He would be the guy that would be brought back before Verlander if the series came down to needing a pitcher to come back on short rest. So uh, that's something to keep an eye on in this series. Uh, you talked about it being a condensed series because of this rain out today. Kind of glad this rain out happened so I didn't have to try to do this, watch the Monday night football game and watch the World Series at the same time. So I feel like I caught a little bit of a break there. Uh, but yeah, uh, considering that that has kind of pushed the schedule tighter, it's going to be interesting to see which pitchers on both sides come back on short rest. And I think from, from Rivaldez is much more prepared to do that than Justin Verlander is at this stage of their careers and at this stage of the season. So that's just something to keep an eye on moving forward. It's a one, one series. I look forward to seeing what's going to happen. Uh, I still stand by the fact that I am rooting for the Astros. I am rooting for Dusty Baker. Uh, it's not about the players on that team, even though I have no problem with the Astros and what they've done in the past, quite frankly. But uh, it's, it's just a Dusty Baker thing. Uh, it has been too close too many times with too many different teams to not have one championship on his resume. So I just want to see him get one. But with that said, I, the, the Phillies are my pick. I, just uh, I'm, I'm afraid to pick against them at this point. Uh, you've talked about Bryce Harper and how he stepped up. And if it's not Bryce Harper, it's JT Real Muto. It's, it's somebody in that lineup. It's, you know, Kyle Schwarber is kind of a hit or miss kind of guy in, in the playoffs so far. But when he hits, he hits. And uh, he, he had a couple of, of swings that were both within inches, one being a couple inches foul, the other being a couple inches short of the wall from being a home run. So you your heart stops anytime he actually makes contact. <laughs> if, if you're a pitcher. So uh, there are certainly some masters in that Phillies lineup. I'm just looking forward to see how, how the series plays out. Uh, other storylines in boxing uh, in the world of sports. I'm going to boxing. Uh, it's just, it's just, I, I, I don't like what I'm seeing in boxing and that I, I'm a boxing fan. I want to see good things happen for the sport, but every time they try to do something, it's just, you just get more and more reminders of, why UFC is running laps around boxing now. They can't get this Terrence Crawford fight with Errol Spence Jr. for for nothing. I don't even know who the guy is that uh, that Terrence Crawford is fighting next. Uh, I don't believe that one fighter is ducking the other. I just think it's a whole promotion thing. I think boxing needs a Dana White type of figure to step in and say, you two fight or else nobody's the champion and then just go from there because these, these promoters are are killing the sport right now. Uh, the sport is also too political. You had the return of Vasily Lomachenko this weekend. Uh, he goes and he uh, fights a, a guy in Ortiz who I haven't seen too much of. But Jermaine Ortiz, I thought, fought a pretty decent fight. And I think if it wasn't for the fact that Vasily Lomachenko, it, 
has the clout that he has in the sport and the fact that he just got back from fighting for Ukraine uh, with the whole war that's going on over there. You just knew with all that going in, there's no way Lomachenko would, would be allowed to lose a decision, even though you could argue most of that fight Ortiz was the better fighter. But it's just stuff like that where you got, I mean, basically pre-filled in scorecards, you know, and, and then don't even get me started on the whole Jake Paul thing. I mean, it's just, it's, it's just pathetic to see what, what's going on with him in the sport of boxing. It's pathetic to see that. And, and you know, what's, what's sad is there were actually good fights on, on that undercard, but yet the main event is it's it's a WWE match. That, that's the main event every time. And the people that I, and I have people buying this every week. Oh, Jake Paul's legit. Jake Paul can win a, a world boxing championship. Well, because he beat 47 year old Anderson Silva who had agreed not to hit him hard. No, I mean, it's just, it's just pathetic to see UFC doesn't need all these gimmicks and, and circus acts to get people to watch. So I'm just disappointed to see uh, the state of affairs in the boxing world right now. And then last but not least, I got three whistles to blow. Uh, one on a serious note, two on a less serious note. One, I'm blowing the whistle on Josh Primo. What the hell are you doing? Now, as a Spurs fan, I was already pissed off because I thought that was a terrible draft pick in the first place. I still want to know what the Spurs front office, and I've been telling people this for years, the Spurs, for the last 20 years, have been the worst drafting organization in the NBA. And nobody talks about that because they had Tim Duncan to cover the sins of the front office. Go back and look at who the Spurs have drafted in the last 20 years. Good job on the Spurs to finesse the paces out of Kawhi Leonard. But other than that, they've drafted scrub after scrub. Now, I, will, I do will say DeJounte Murray, great pick there. I want to give credit where it's due on that. But year after year... There's confusing picks, picks with low ceilings. Even when they have fairly high picks, they haven't been good. So I didn't like the Josh Primo pick, even when I thought he was kind of a normal person. Put your pants up. Like, if you're going to be garbage on the court, you don't have to be equally as garbage off the court. Josh Primo was the youngest player in the draft last year, still one of the youngest players that was in the league. Still, I don't, I don't even think he's turned 20 yet. And you've thrown your career away. For what? So blowing the whistle there, blowing the whistle on Spurs for drafting him, but also blowing the whistle on him because he had a free ride for a few years and threw it away just being, just being stupid. On a lighter note, blowing the whistle on Miles Turner. Like how flagrant <laughs> does it have to be for, for collusion, for tampering, whatever you want to call it? This man is going out in public interviews with ESPN and talking about why the Lakers should trade for him and what he can bring to the table for the Lakers. Excuse me, Miles Turner, you are still under contract with the Pacers. Like, at least pretend to be. At least pretend. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we know this stuff goes on. We know these backdoor deals go on all the time. We saw, Anthony, we saw LeBron James and Anthony Davis shaking hands and hugging in the locker room before Anthony Davis ever left New Orleans. We know this stuff happened but at least try to be a little bit secretive about it. You've done everything short of just showing up with a Lakers jersey on. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Have some type of class when it comes to this. I mean, it's, it's just pathetic to see that. And last but not least, blowing the whistle on Wake Forest football. It's inexcusable 
to turn the ball over eight times in a game. It is beyond inexcusable to turn the ball over eight times in the second half. Like, I, I don't even know how you get that many possessions. What are you doing? <laughs> how hard do you have to try? Like, that should be a Madden challenge. Can you turn the ball over eight times in a half? Because that's that is hard to do. <laughs> you got to put on about 30-minute quarters in order to turn the ball over eight times in a half. That is ridiculous. And at the time you did that, you were the number 10 team in the country. And the reason I'm upset for Wake Forest is because of this. My Wolfpack have fallen out the picture of the ACC because of losing our quarterback, Devin Leary, to injury. We need somebody other than Clemson to come through and step up and represent the ACC to some degree. And I was hoping that Wake Forest, the last team standing in the ACC outside of Clemson, would show something. And they go on the road to a, a mediocre Louisville team and put on that clown show as a representative of the ACC. That was one of the most pathetic things that I have ever seen in football. And all I'm going to ask is, since you wanted to be that garbage last week and not protect the football at all, all I ask, Wake Forest, is you keep that same energy this upcoming Saturday. When you come to Carter-Finley Stadium, when you come to Raleigh, North Carolina, keep that same eight turnover energy. Give us eight turnovers. We'll show you what we can do with that as well. We got the same red that Louisville has. Just keep giving the ball to the red team for another week. That's all I ask. Give us eight turnovers. Thank you very much. Yeah, the Josh Primo thing is inexcusable. I don't understand why people who make millions of dollars, not even people who make millions of dollars, but especially people who make millions of dollars need to go out of their way to harass just anyone in, in general. And then for him to do it the way he was doing it, um, there's no need for him to be in the league. Um, he cleared waivers, so I don't know if he will get another shot. I'm sure someone may give him another shot, but it's going to be a lot of media backlash on that one and and and, and fan backlash. So if it is going to be someone, I, th- I think it's like G League contract maybe. I don't know. He's He won't be in the NBA this year. I, I just don't think he no. will. Um, no. Just disgusting, disgusting behavior. I know he's young, and you know he's not even 20, but still just – Disgusting behavior. Um, I'm blowing the whistle on the NBA in general because they took away two second-round picks from the Sixers after an investigation to them getting House and Tucker from the Rockets. Second-round picks mean nothing in the NBA. NBA, and you know that. That's why you did it. You want to make this false sense of we're going to hold our people accountable and Silver's coming out saying we're going to make a cap cap space and and we're going to have penalties for tanking taking around second round picks does nothing for a team like the Sixers they don't care about their second round picks most teams don't care about their second round picks how many second round picks are in the NBA starting probably zero besides Draymond Green they'll, they'll, they'll highlight the couple that, that do start they'll, they'll highlight Nikola Jokic or somebody like that but, right. but yeah but, far and <laughs> few between team on second round picks. no right exactly yeah, out of the the NBA, m- normally, normally, top five picks. Top five picks are the hitters. Everyone else is just a crapshoot. You'll have a random Giannis here and there. You'll have a random Kawhi Leonard here and there. But normally, it's the top five, and in reality, it's the top three. So um, that's why everyone's always like, can you believe Carmelo and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh and LeBron James and all these guys were in the same draft class? No, because that normally doesn't happen. You normally don't get 
all these good players in one draft. It's normally like random player from this draft, random player from that draft, random guy from this draft. It's normally not the top three. Look at the Jason Tatum draft. Markel Fultz was number one. Yep. So I'm just saying, it's not even... Anthony Bennett was a number one draft pick. So like, no one cares about the second round NBA. Stop making it seem like you actually are putting the pressure on the Sixers for doing anything. It's ridiculous. Well, that's it for us on this week's podcast. As always, if you want to follow us, we're at Two Guys Four Balls Podcast, and that's on Facebook. We got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Um, you can follow us back. You can send us messages. If there's anything you want us to discuss or talk about on the podcast, we're happy to do so. Um, you know, and we'll be back next week for Week Nine. Uh, there's a lot of teams on bye week, so hopefully it's not as long of a podcast next week. I think we have six teams on on bye next week. So, you know, <laughs> after only having two this week, I don't understand how the NFL does their bye weeks, but hey, whatever. Um, so, yeah, we'll see you all next week. We appreciate the support. We appreciate you all listening, as always, and uh, we'll, we can't wait for you all to listen to us next week. Thank you for listening to the Two Guys, Four Balls podcast.